Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they <laughs> into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic, sw- cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And I don't talk to dead men. So we're done, because I'm not going to talk to I don't talk to dead men! (laughs) Let me tell you, when I sat down to watch this uh, for this recording, 30 Days of Night, of course, what we're talking about, a movie I had seen before, a movie we had both seen before together, which, of course, we're going to get into with our history. But, man, when this movie started, and the opening shot is a very cold Ben Foster... And, of course, the last time we talked about Ben Foster was him being the uh, the young whippersnapper in The Mechanic. I was like, oh, God, because I really did not like Ben Foster in that movie. But I am happy to say, Ben, Ben Foster is one of the best performances in this film, I thought. <laughs> you don't give me what I want to eat. <laughs> you don't give me what I want to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's really good, even in the, in his like last scene where he's like, "They didn't take me," you know, and all that stuff. I was I was pleasantly surprised where I was like, "Oh my god, Ben Foster, where was all this energy when you were supposed to be like the up and coming hitman in the Mechanic?" <laughs> Which is after this movie, four years after. Yeah, he definitely plays like a a great meat hobo. I don't I don't know <laughs> if there's like a an official term for what that is, but yeah, like a vampire lackey. Yeah, I I definitely took him as um, the, me knowing this reference is so much more diminished because the Nicolas Cage movie came out this year earlier this year. But he's supposed to be like the the Renfield analog, like the human that helps Dracula do things. You know? Okay. Yeah. Um, there's even the parallel of like Renfield eats like bugs and stuff. Where Ben Foster in this movie is like, I want raw beef. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. It, I, that's what I took it as. It was like a Renfield nod, um, which which now everybody knows who Renfield is. When I saw that movie in theaters. I, I hated Renfield with Nicolas Cage. I, I just want to put that on record, which I might have already put on record. But after that movie, I was like, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's it, there. They were like other people I saw it with. They were like, oh, Renfield, like he was a cool character. I'm like, yeah, he's from the original Dracula book. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, doesn't everybody know this? And apparently nobody knew this. <laughs> I I learned it just now. Okay, look at look at yeah. that. So, uh, yeah. at least Nicolas Cage and pop culture uh, has has given some more info to the masses. I can't be too upset about that, you know. <laughs> it's also Nicolas Cage, man. You can't be upset about that at all. No, he's the best part. Everybody's got to pay yeah. their rent. Uh, Nicholas Cage as Dracula is the best part of the movie Renfield. Um, Nicholas Holt as R. M. Renfield is also really good. Um, but it turns out that most of that movie is about Aquafina fighting the mob, which is fucking stupid because Aquafina is a horrible actor. <laughs> oh, like Aqua. This is a. You're not talking about bottled water. No, no. Aqua. A W K W A F I N A. Like Aquafina is Nora from Queens, the show and stuff like that. Is that is that a real name? That's her stage name. You know, that's her 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 SGA she, name. You know, she picked her stage name to sound like bottled water. Yes, but it's spelled differently. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't like this. And she is she is a hor- she might be a gr- good comedian. I think she had some you know maybe involved with SNL or those types of troops, but maybe she's a good comedian. Everything I've ever seen her in, she is just so like terrible. And even she was um. 
up in the running for the daughter character in Everything Everywhere All at Once, who eventually gets played by Stephanie Sue, who is amazing in that movie as, uh, you know, Joju Chewbacca. Um, but I just think, <clears throat> like, man, if they made that movie with Aquafina, it would have been nowhere near as good and never would have gotten is... the recognition it deserved. She plays the uh, the friend, like the the lumpy love interest in Shang-Chi. Oh, yes, I have never seen Shang-Chi, but yes, yeah, she's in it. Yeah, Frumpy, yeah. not lumpy. I mean, she could be lumpy. I've seen her posture when she's on cameras, and it is lumpy. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, I I didn't I didn't know that. I I don't like it, <laughs> dude. I don't like that. <clears throat> yeah. So so yes, that's our Renfield tangent. If anybody was dying for our Renfield thoughts months after Renfield came out, um, so. But that, I think that's actually a good segue, because we're talking vampires in Renfield. We're talking vampires here in 30 Days a Night. I just got to throw it right off the bat, even before we get to our history, and really your history, because you are the person that introduced me to this movie. What a good title, man. I love the phrase, 30 Days of Night. Like, that is a perfect title, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely uh, caught the attention of, what, like 16-year-old me when it came out as something that was like i don't know badass enough to to want to look into and i i watched it as a 16 year old and i fucking loved it <laughs> uh we uh we even like went as far as to like base a like one shot D session off of it oh cool um where we had to deal like you know we were off in a snowy uh, wasteland and had to deal with a vampire swarm attack kind of situation yeah. and had to survive for 30 days you know so like this definitely had an impact on on my friend group as a whole and also on me individually and i i uh i liked this movie quite a bit back in the day uh and then you know upon rewatch i was like there's a chance for this to really take a nosedive like obviously something i haven't thought about since we watched it back in athens or and then longer uh, you know, quite a bit longer even before that. Yeah. And and it's like, so I'm just like, man, there's a real chance that this movie actually sucks. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm pleasantly surprised. It does not suck. So was, um, you mentioned your friend groups and stuff, and you seeing it when you were 16. W- was this something that you found out of about the movie, um, the 2007 movie? Did movie, you find movie, out about movie. it from just like the trailers and the marketing, or were you aware of like the comic books beforehand? I, I found out about it from the movie. I, okay. I was not okay. aware of the comic books. And to this day, I still haven't like read the comic books. Yeah, I, I have not either. Um, sure, sure. I, I have not either read the comic books. Um, I did some digging into the comic books because I wanted to know the differences, and we'll get to that, of course. But I, I don't think... Maybe because when I was growing up, you know, playing Yu-Gi-Oh, going to a lot of comic shops, I'm sure that, like, the 30 Days of Night, it being so popular around the time I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh in that early 2000s period. It's only a three-issue run as well. Like, it's a it's a pretty much a, just a big graphic novel. Um, okay. I'm sure somebody was talking about it. I'm sure I've seen it on shelves somewhere. Um, but I don't even, ap- apart from that, I don't remember any trailer for this movie. I don't remember seeing any marketing for this movie back in 2007. I I barely even remember if I knew anything about this before that one day in Athens back in what 2013 2014 when you were like we should watch this and I was like okay. I that that might have been my first experience with it, which is like I was saying it's like you truly introduced me to this movie. <laughs> it's uh <clears throat> that's pretty solid. I'm I'm glad I could do that for you. 
now that I think about it, I actually don't know if I remember any of the marketing at all. Uh, but I know that one of my friends was like, he was the driving force for us to go see this. And okay. Then, like we all went and saw it as like the group of 12 of us that used to just walk around the streets when we had nothing better to do. Sure. Uh, Cause I, I lived in a town that was small enough that you could walk the streets without concern of getting murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, we, he was the driving force and, and then, you know, we, we all really took to it. It was, um, in, in terms of like adolescent white male movies, this movie was pretty good for that. You know, it's, you get action, you get um, some like really good shots of vampires getting blown away with shotguns. <laughs> uh, you got a chainsaw on wheels. It's overall just it has a lot of those elements that that you would expect a teenage boy to really uh, uh, you know latch onto. And I yeah yeah and we did. Do you have any memory of what my response to this was nine or ten years ago? Not a bit. It might that makes me think it might have been negative because I, I might have just blocked it out. I do not remember my response either. <laughs> I, right. I, I had not seen this movie since then. When I watched this, uh, what two nights ago for this recording, this was the first time I had seen it since watching it with you on DVD. I think you had this on DVD, right? Oh yeah, I, I still do. Nice. Uh, <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough, I rented it for this watching because I didn't have uh, a DVD player set up. <laughs> to, okay. to, to watch it easily so <laughs> so i did it, but but yeah i still do have it on okay on okay i that was my my big question for you i was like do you have any memory of what i thought and i was kind of expecting no because i had no memory um well, I, I expect there were drugs involved exactly so. that's the other thing i for some reason i also remember this might have been the time that i feel like we watched a movie together on one like when we watched one of your dvds and then we were looking for something else, and I was looking at your DVDs, and I was like, oh, you have the goods, live hard, sell hard, we should watch that next. And I was like, maybe 30 Days of Night was the movie you watched before that? You know, That's, that's possible. <laughs> the, goods, the goods did take uh, a, a bit of our attention. And if I remember right, I had the goods and had not yet seen it. Oh, okay. I didn't remember when, that. Um, but when we watched it. I, so. I think when we watched it, I had seen the goods at least... 15 times in undergrad Uh, and i still love that movie an immense amount you know Um, (laughs) as problematic as it is you know uh there's a lot of a lot of crazy jokes in that movie (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) um so okay so yeah i i went into this the same way that you did you know with a lot less history a lot less of any knowledge of what I thought about this movie, but I basically went into this movie cold. No pun intended. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I remembered nearly nothing about this movie. You know what I remembered when I sat down to watch it? The general premise. I knew that the um, it was in the Alaskan town that was not going to have sunlight for X amount of time and vampires were attacking. I remembered Josh Hartnett was in it, and I remembered the scene of Danny Houston saying, God... No God, because no that was the that was a line that you pointed out, which is which is an excellent line, you know. So yeah. so I went into this completely cold with the same thought that you had. I was like, "There's a chance that this is gonna suck. There's a chance that this is gonna be." And then my thoughts were, "This was gonna be like an underworld or one of those like oh. mid to late two thousands. Like here's a here's a classic Universal monster, but we're putting the modern twist on it." I was expecting. <laughs> Tons of action scenes with 
heavy, like, faux heavy metal and rock, like, like, like rip off of Bush and Creed songs as the soundtrack and stuff like that. And I was like, what am I getting myself into? And as I watched the movie, I'm going through it. You know, I, I watched the whole thing. I have to say that I have some problems with it. I have some overt problems. I have some things I don't really know what I think about, which I want to pick your brain on. But, Ben, at the end of the day, I am so happy to say this movie was fucking excellent. <laughs> this was I, way better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you feel that way. Um, and th- This actually kind of reminds me of something I was just thinking about. Because right before we recorded this, I uh, I had like 45 minutes and I was sitting down to, to eat some dinner. And I was like, fuck it. Like, I still have the rental. I'll just throw on 30 Days of nice. Night and watch the beginning <laughs> of it while I wait. And... I, I as I was watching it, I was like, one of the things that really sticks out to me, this movie doesn't play like it's a vampire movie. This movie plays like it's any sci-fi movie. Yeah, yes. Like it takes itself seriously enough that it's like it's just a regular movie, and then there's vampires in it. And when you when you said it, you know, you you thought Underworld, and that it could end up being like that. Like that is one of the decidedly best features of this movie is that it is nothing like that not an underworld not a resident evil not a um you know i don't know an xyz ghost movie or of like flavor right. of the month ghost movie type of thing you know like, yeah, i was you, expecting mila well, jo- jovovich doing a backflip over hellhounds while you know fucking my chemical romance plays or something like that <laughs> right yeah while you're watching it you're not thinking like Anytime that the vampires aren't on screen, you're not like, oh, yes, I'm definitely watching a vampire movie. You're like, oh, I'm watching like a survival movie. <laughs> yes, not only survival, but like the thing that I latched onto more than anything was the just the human condition, the existential horror of this movie. The, like you said, survival. Yeah. Like there were so many elements of this movie that reminded me of The Mist, which is one of my favorite sure. movies ever. And it's just people are stuck in a horrible situation. And it's like, let's play with all the human emotions that can bounce off each other, that can bubble to the surface, cause problems, cause solutions, and all that stuff. I mean, it's literally in my notes. I think it might be, what, like the 45-minute mark or something. But when the vampires are using the little girl as bait, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm like oh, we're fucking cooking with gas now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful scene. Um, with where the, like Somebody's like, we got to go help her. And Evan's like, look at the roof. Like, look at the rooftop behind yes, them. They're using yes. their bait. It's like, oh, God. There are so many great humanistic moments in this that I am just... They are very dark, very dour, very depressing. But that's that's what this these types of movies should be. It shouldn't just be like, oh, man, okay, we got 30 or 35 minutes left in the movie. I'm thinking of, like, a Resident Evil or an Underworld, or those are the two that come to mind. I'm sure there's plenty more examples where it's like, here's our third act. The characters just found a bunker full of guns, and we're going to play Nine Inch Nails for 30 minutes, you know, and that type of stuff. And instead, this movie is like, okay, we have an idea. We're going to use a UV lamp from Grandma's weed operation, and it works for two seconds. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it worked, but they're going to cut the power. And I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm like, there is no like saving grace of this movie. You know, oh, it, no, was, it no. was way better than I expected it to be. And honestly, for it being a 2007 movie, I think also entrenched kind of in the, the post-era of like the Resident Evils and the Underworlds, going into more of the Marvel territory where everything has to be formulized and be a jukebox, you know, musical and stuff like that. Yeah. This this has 
Everything was working against this movie. This movie should not be as good as it is. One hundred percent. It's kind of amazing, honestly, that that it came from its time. Yes. Like this, uh, this maybe what predates. Let's see, three hundred would have been like right around this, also somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe a little three hundred. Three hundred was the yeah. year before this. Okay, okay. And it's like so. Like this is this and three hundred are like these like nuggets from from that time period where it's like okay, there's actually something good going on here. Whereas everything else around this is, is like you said, Resident Evil, Underworld, Underworld 4, Underworld 7, <laughs> however, however many Underworlds there are. Yeah, there uh, were. the year before this was Underworld 4, the year after this was Underworld 7. It took them a while to get to 5 and 6, but those eventually came out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, we're going to film these in parallel, and whichever one finishes first, you know, that's what's coming out. Yeah, so so definitely this this movie, like, sticks out as being... Like I said, like a gem from its time. Yeah. I think not only with that stuff we're talking about, of it being so psychological, so survival, so minimal. I think this is a very minimal movie as well, which I, I think works in its favor. Um, you know, there's no there's no big grand scheme or anything. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's no, like, there's no third act, like, oh, we cut out to, like, the satellite view and, and like, the government's involved or something like that, you know, which right. I think is what the whole Resident Evil franchise is about. But I, I think also... So not only being so good in and of its time, seeing it now, this is kind of one of those things where it's like, I don't know, finding like a a little bit of copper in this day and age is pretty good. I, I wanted to talk about the first 18 minutes of this movie, because the first kill in this movie happens at the 18 minute mark, which I'm so happy about. This movie moves. It is not bloated. It doesn't do the Goosebumps 2015 thing where it's like, why'd it take so fucking long to get to a monster from a book, you know? Yeah, yeah. First kill happens at the 18... Well, first human kill. The dogs get killed earlier than that. Um, Well, and that's also not by a vampire. Exactly, exactly. So the first vampire kill happens at the 18-minute mark. Everything before that 18-minute mark is very, very basic. We're getting plenty of character introductions, both set, like stated and not stated, you know? We get a lot of talk about the, um, the separation between our two main characters, uh, Josh Hartnett and Stella. Um, we, we get a lot of the unseen, like Josh Hartnett using the inhaler. We get the you know, setup of the, um, the metal grinder and stuff like that. We get the dogs dying. We get the satellite phones burning. All this stuff is being set up, and I'm going to admit, it's very basic, but it's done serviceably. It's done correctly. I mean, it's like screenwriting 101, but to see that now, where every movie has to be bloated or like like pushed too far in one direction or something like that in the modern era, I'm thinking like 2015 to now, seeing something done so simply and so effectively was just like refreshing to me, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it is It definitely... Uh is very minimal. Like I have, I have to agree with that. It, they don't, there's not a lot of frills on the setup. The, um, like even the, the scene with like where we find out that it's like the satellite phones, like at first it's just like, there's just like a black hunk and you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then Eben, uh, Josh Hartnett's character is just like, why would they burn all the satellite phones? Like, I don't, you know, I don't get this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's like, um, so it's like, you're, you're getting, just enough through the dialogue between characters to understand what is happening. And and you can start to build the image that the vampires are cutting them off from the rest of the world. Yes. Um, yes. Which is already pretty effectively done by where they are geographically. But, uh, but that the vampires are going the rest of the way to make sure that they can't r- reach out to anybody else once this starts. And 
they don't belabor that, which is wonderful to uh, see. Yes, exactly. Not belabored. And and the thing is, I mean, I think it's even done even more effectively because the, there's so many moments of characterization that I think are perfect. The one that uh, the one that really stuck out to me is um, when uh, Josh Hartnett goes to the uh, metal grinder place and like the guy is talking about how somebody tore up the helicopter and stuff like that. There's that small yeah. moment of the operator of that metal grinding place where he's like. Josh Hartnett says, like, oh, my God, like, look at all your family. Like, he has all the photos of his family. And he's like, they should come up here. And he's like, they'll come when they're ready. And I'm like, I didn't think anything of that. And then right. later, it's paid off in such a beautifully depressing way that subverts the whole idea of, oh, no, this guy is not like, I have to be the one to survive to get back to my family. When Nathaniel Lees starts to turn into a vampire, he's like, I do not want to live forever because my family is dead. You need to kill me. And I'm like, yeah. fuck yes, man. This is what I want from these types of movies. Definitely. Yeah, well, like like you mentioned earlier, that like human element of what what how would a person respond to to the potential of living forever and in the event that everything you love is gone mm-hmm. and every day is a fucking struggle living forever is maybe the worst curse that could, could that could ever be like ho- uh foisted on you sure so he's sure. he's absolutely it's absolutely understandable for him to be like nope I, i'm checking out like i i'm gonna i'm signing out now like you kill me and, um, you know, I won't be a danger to you and I get to leave cause I'm done anyway. And that, that was, is so human. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And, and I think that that really makes this movie a- as good as it can be or, a- a, you know, as good as it is, like we said, better than it maybe even deserves to be Yeah. because we do get those human <laughs> elements. Yep. Um, I, I think one of the best examples in that first 18 minutes also is um, is for Josh Hartnett's character um, when he uh, writes up uh, Mark Boone Jr.'s character, uh, someone I totally forgot was in this movie because um, his like truck is leaking oil. Oh, yeah, and he's yeah. like, I got to write you up for it. And he's like, you don't got to do anything. And then what the um, the guy you mentioned from uh, Spartacus mm-hmm. Is yeah, like, Manu Tamit, I think yeah, is his name. Yeah, yeah, what's it, Crixus or Crixus? Or, Crixus, uh, yeah, he Crixus, plays Crixus yeah. in Spartacus. His name is Billy in this. And and he's like, you didn't have to write him up. And Josh Hartnett is like, well, you know, he lives all the way out there, and, you know, me doing this to him makes him remember he's part of this town. And it's like, you get it immediately. Like, okay, one, Mark Boone Jr.'s character is this weird old, like, not maybe not hermit, but like curmudgeon angry dude that lives out on the fringes, and he thinks mm-hmm. he can do whatever he wants, which is comes into play to great effect later um but you also get the fact that josh hartnett is like i'm the sheriff of this town you know it's like i want to make sure everybody's here and everybody's accounted for and i'm taking care of this place maybe writing up mark boone jr giving him a citation isn't the best way to go about it but you get the idea of what he's going for and it's it's such a nice little moment where i'm like i'm like i understand who this character is you know and then they start layering on the um the separation stuff with uh, melissa george uh stella and it just it's it's so once again, it's simple. It's what screenwriting should do. I mean, this might be... You could even classify some of this early setup as, like, you know, a film student, like, very early type of script thing, like a class exercise. But Jesus Christ, we don't see this anymore, that seeing it done so serviceably is like an oasis, you know? Like, I'm so glad this movie didn't start with... um people's heads getting ripped apart and then freeze frame and then it's like i bet you wondered how we got into this into this mess you know and then it's like 30 days yeah. earlier or something like that 
Yeah, and that's that's something that we see everywhere now. Yes. So, for you know, we, I, I get that everything has to evolve and grow, and that's one of the way you you know that's that's how you get new ideas is you take old ideas and you expand on them, etc. But this this movie really goes to show that sometimes you don't need to expand. Like sometimes you just need to go with what is tried and true and exactly. what works. Keep it simple. Let the audience know what's going on. And I love the fact that some of it's given through dialogue. Some of it is visual. Like there's so much that even the scene when the, um, like the town is shutting down, it's the, it, the sun had just set and there's a lot of people leaving and what, mm-hmm. um, and, and the, uh, the other guy, he changes the uh, population sign, you know, and stuff like yeah, that. It's like, nobody's going to see that for 30 days. Like, what yeah, are you doing or for a yeah. month? And he's like, it's, it's tradition. And, and then they, they cut into the town and there's all the people leaving and you get all those small moments of some people being like, are you sure you don't want to stay? No, I got to get the hell out of here. Juxtaposed all that like choice of who stays and who goes with, um, Melissa George, Stella's character like missing the um the airplane and stuff like that and having to stay there and the whole thing before you even really know what's going on where she's talking to the other person she's like a fire marshal or something like that and he's like mm-hmm. i noticed you put barrow at the last of the list and stuff like that it's it's just all so it's so simple it's so easy and it, it feels weird for me to give praise to this but it's like you know it's like if you teach ben and i have both done it we've taught like the the lowest level of college algebra you know when a kid figures out how to factor a polynomial, it's just like, yes, you got it. You figured it out. You did it, you know? It's like mm-hmm. seeing this script do it this well. It's like, fucking, you did it. All these other idiots think they're too cool, and they're using Wolfram Alpha and Chat GPT to try to solve this stuff, but you did it with your brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually um, it reminds me of something that I had a professor say to me in an advanced math class. Like, I, I figured out a, a proof, and I was like, oh, man, this is, like, this is actually really simple, and he he looked at me. He's like, "If you're doing it right, it's always yes, simple. exact. That's a great way to put it. And th- this script is done right, and it comes across as simple. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, I definitely put in that mindset for this. And and you know, like I said, sometimes you got to just go with what works, and you don't need to add frills and shit that you think are making it better. When in reality, it's making the your audience groan, mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. or just making me feel like you're wasting my time." It's like okay, you you know, at what point does that become like self-servicing? It's like you're you're basically just masturbating uh, because you like some idea, not because it makes the movie better. Yes, yes, and uh, it goes it goes back to what we said. I mean, we we talked about it most recently with the Goosebumps 2015 movie, which is why it's in top of my, uh, in my mind for this. I love that the first vampire kill is at 18 minutes out of a near two-hour movie. Because anybody who went to the theater to see this knows they're going to see a goddamn vampire movie. Yeah. Why Why drag it out? Why make it take 30, 35, 40 minutes to get to the vampires showing up? You don't need that. You know that the vampires are coming. That, of course, that's what the Goosebumps... Everybody go check out our Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Cinemodities, where we talk about Goosebumps 2015, where everybody sat down knowing they were watching a Goosebumps movie, but it takes the movie 30 minutes to involve anything Goosebumps related. <laughs> right. Yeah, actually, I I was just doing like a little bit of Googling before we started recording, and I saw this review, and they were like, in every review, somebody says like, well, you know, if, if you're into horror movies, it's like, if you're not into horror movies, why the fuck are you watching this movie? <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, like, 
in in some ways I disagree because like I said I feel like this movie plays a lot more like a like a generic sci-fi movie and it doesn't play as much like a horror movie but but on the one hand it's like yeah well this is a vampire movie with people getting eaten by vampires like that's that is very important to the story yes, yeah so. exactly <laughs> and it's <laughs> yeah, not so like not into that I didn't I didn't watch any trailers for this, you know, but I, I was a, aware that it was a vampire movie, and I'm, I'm sure the marketing did not hide that from oh, no. anybody. Um, I also I did look into some of the marketing, which we'll talk about um, in a little later on, because uh, I watched some ancillary material with this movie, um, and that's all about vampires. No one went into this going like, I don't know what this is about, you know. Um, right. Which, yeah, it's not a big happens, reveal. Exactly, which happens very little. I mean, I think when Barbarian did that last year, uh, almost a year ago now, when Barbarian went to theaters, the whole point of the marketing was, you don't know what's going to happen, you know? Like, I remember yeah. we talked about the trailer where it frames it as a comedy, and it says, like, from the from the producers of the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie and stuff like <laughs> that in the trailer. Um, and then that turns out to be a, 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 a horror movie through and through in many different ways. Um but I, I don't think that usually happens. It very rarely happens. When it happens, it's, it should be done to good effect. If you're going to a movie, you know what you're getting into. I hate when movies try and hide it from you, you know? Sure. And this movie doesn't hide it. 18 minutes is a perfect length of time for the first kill, especially when this is, you know, what, an hour and 53 minutes long. That gives you plenty of time to start to play with the idea. And I think that's something movies of these days don't do. They think they need to front load us with all this information, you know, like the Goosebumps movie and some other things I'm sure I'm not thinking of that in the modern, you know, last five, six years they think that all like our characters need to be fully established and developed before the movie starts. And it's oh, like, yeah. it's like, no, we, we don't really learn too much about Josh Hartnett and Stella's relationship until the killings start happening. And until they're put into these situations where these emotions have to come out. And I'm like, that makes so much more sense. That's so much better than, you know, the two little kids in goosebumps being forced into a situation where they have to go on a date and tell each other, like my favorite color is apple and my favorite fruit is purple and you know stuff like that and you're like who the fuck my who cares you know? clear. <laughs> uh. it's like you can get characterization and and let these characters grow and and let us learn about them while the plot is happening well it, it's not only can you it's better if you do absolutely um it, it's just like i don't know about you but i generally am watching movies to be entertained and I generally don't find it very entertaining to just sit there and be like, well, I'm going to read a history textbook on this one character right now. Right. Yes. And, and yes. then I'm going to read a history textbook on the next character. And then eventually those characters might interact with each other. It's like, that's not that's not <laughs> something I want. That's not something anybody wants. Exactly. Uh, it's If you can reveal to me the flaw in somebody's character through the way they interact with another character at a, at a plot important moment in the story, that's... For one, I'm going to receive that as like a treat. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's going to be like I'm going to see it. And I'm like, oh shit! Like we're learning about a character flaw. It doesn't violate or or contradict anything else we've seen. And now it's like actually something hinges on it, and that's going to feel meaningful. It's going to feel important. And when it feels important, it's going to be that much more memorable. It's going to be the thing I talk about later. It's uh, you know, there's any number of things that are good about it. Um, what I'm what I can promise I'm not going to do is tell somebody I really liked the first thirty minutes of exposition. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I I can almost almost guarantee I'm never going to say that. 
I, I think uh, just because I mentioned it and it's on top of my head, I think the one case where that worked, uh, even though this this is not the exception, this might be the exception that proves the rule, um, is that first act of Barbarian, where it is so much exposition about, you know, our main character, while also being the scary, the most scared I've ever been watching a movie in probably my entire life, you know. Um, but it's, Yeah, that's it's fair. That there is a lot of exposition, but as we talked about in our Patreon episode about that, that's kind of the point of that first act of the movie is about putting up your guard, letting down your guard, how to trust yeah, like, and stuff like that. Well, it's about making people uncomfortable in in a very like mundane otherwise mundane situation. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I I agree with you that that might be the place where a place where it did work, but I don't, I don't even think of that 30 minutes as exposition because I think of that 30 minutes as like us coming to terms with the fact that she is in this situation. Yes. Yes. You know, so it's yeah, I don't it just feels different to me, but but no, you're you're probably right. It probably does count as exposition. Yeah. I I think on that same topic, you know, now maybe moving a little away from uh, away from this movie with its first 18 minutes of setup. Now that it starts to set up stuff, now that we know what's going on, you know, as an audience member, we know the vampires are attacking. There's a moment in this that I thought I had like missed a scene or something and and i i want to i want to explain what i mean because i was very much like caught off guard by it and a little confused but i stuck with it of course because you know i like to watch movies and i stuck with it and i realized that oh no they have structured this movie in the perfect way possible um the the scene i'm talking about is once we know the vampires are there so the first kill first killer two has happened um, I don't know if we've really been introduced to the vampires or Danny Houston yet, but there's a scene where, like, some people run into the diner, and they're all scared, and they all start mm. talking, like, what are these things? They ripped my wife's clean head off. They stole her from the window. Like, I shoot at them, mm-hmm. and they don't go down and stuff like that. And I'm yeah. watching this, and I'm, I, I'm so fucking inundated in the modern, like, storytelling things of not just movies, but I think of TV shows and TV series where I'm like, did I miss a scene? Did I miss a scene where, like, someone was pumping their gas and a vampire came out and the guy goes, Hey, buddy, are you okay? And the vampire slowly, like, shrieks and stumbles forward and the guy goes, You don't look so good! And then attacks him and stuff like that. <laughs> but they don't do that. They just show the characters talking in the diner, going, like, you know, like, what is happening? Like, this is, like, we're the only survivors left or something like that. And then it cuts to the vampires just wrecking shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. They don't waste the time showing us that scene of the stupid thing in all the zombie movies and stuff where it's like the zombie slowly shambling towards somebody and the character's like, hey, buddy, do you need help? Are you okay? They let the zombie literally start French kissing them, be like, dude, I don't think this is a pro. Oh, no, you're a zombie. <laughs> you know, we skip that whole stupid scene and just show that this just started. It's, the time has started. The vampire's attack has begun. We don't need mm-hmm. the slow exposition into it beginning because we got all that with the Ben Foster stuff of killing the dogs and burning the satellite phones. I loved uh, it, that, but I, I was confused. I was like, holy shit, what are, what are these people talking about, you know? <laughs> I, I think that, if I'm remembering right, we do see one guy in his house, John Reese, I think, the guy with the dogs, we see his wife get like taken through a window, yes. and like that's that's yes. it. That's all we see before that diner scene, and then, um, but that's that scene where shit is just going crazy, like all hell is broken loose. I remember that scene so well from from my you know initial watchings of this as a kid, because uh, I was like, 
that was the scene where I was like, oh my fucking god, this is happening. Yes, you know? yes, oh and, my god. And, yeah, the the overhead <laughs> tracking shot of vampires just wrecking shit is yes. amazing. And, and <laughs> you know, there, there's shotgun blasts happening, people are fighting vampires, vampires are tearing people apart, there's fires happening, and you're just like, well, shit, like, this movie went from, you, you know, zero to ten, right like in, in with drop of a hat yes it, which it, it, and it which that it, feels so good which it should because why waste the fucking time like i was saying you know yeah yeah it, it, you don't you don't need to you don't need to because everybody knows they're getting into nobody cares about the build-up of the vampires they just want to see it's like okay now there's vampires what are we gonna do yeah and uh and and then we get into this movie this movie does something that like i i on rewatching it, I didn't quite remember and was not expecting, and we've already kind of alluded to it. Like it turns into a survival story. Yep, yep. It it goes from from being like a you know, seeming like for all intents and purposes, it's going to be an action vampire fighty movie. It it turns into a character study survivor movie, mm-hmm. and you're just like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like the, what? Yes, the, fuck? the character study is is a perfect way to put it and not what I expected. And I had no memory of, and I am so glad it turned into that. Cause that's my favorite type of horror movie. You know, I love the mist. I love the original night of living dead. I sure. love all these things where it's like, there's a threat. How do we deal with it? Everybody's going to deal with it in a different way. I mean, it goes back to when we talked about a simple plan. Uh, once again on the Patreon, everybody come look, check out the Patreon. It's there's yeah, clearly shit over there. clearly things we that we talk about in great detail over there. Um, but I love the idea, like I said in the simple uh, in a simple plan episode, where I was like, I love that this is putting humans in such a tight situation that we're seeing who they really are because they're, we're mm-hmm. basically squeezing them like tubes of toothpaste to see what gushes out of them, and that's yeah. what this movie does. I love the scene where I think it's when they're in the attic and I think shit's going wrong outside. And uh, I don't remember it exactly, but at one point, Mark Boone Jr. says, I can kill anything. I can kill these things. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, I'm like, that is such perfect characterization for what we know about this character and about how he thinks he's just like the hottest shit and stuff like that. And then right. for him to get talked down by the uh, the diner owner and be like, we need you here. You're like the, you're the only strong man here, you know, and right. he and the movie takes the time for that for like five seconds for him to like look, calm down and go. Okay, you're right. And I'm like, God damn it, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a lesser movie would have had him run out into the fray and then that's the scene where he dies, whatever. Yes. But we actually get to see him take into consideration that he's part of the town and that the town needs him. And the town needs him to be alive. They don't need him to run head head first into into vampires. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, um, well, and, and until... They do Until they that. do need him, yes, and he gets his hero <laughs> moment, which is a fucking amazing action sequence. Yes. I, I, I was like, it, it doesn't happen a lot, but I, I was damn near cheering when he's driving. I don't know what the the combine or whatever you call uh, that it's thing. A, it's a trencher. Trencher. It's okay, for he, digging trenches. Yeah, yeah. So he he's driving the trencher, and the and the vampires are like gaining on him, and one of them jumps into the back of it and lands in a bear trap. I'm yeah. like, I'm like, fucking yes. Not only is that a cool moment, not only is it so smart that they thought to like put the bear traps in the back as a defense mechanism, but once again, basic screenwriting. Earlier in the movie, Josh Hartnett says something like, I'm going to get as many bear traps and flares as a four by four can hold or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, it's so 
simple yet so perfect. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's because of that setup. It it doesn't feel cheap at all. It feels beautiful. Yes. Um, and I had actually uh, just not too long before this watched Cabin in the Woods with my wife because she had never seen it, which oh, is wow. surprising okay. to me. Okay. Um, and I I was so at the time whenever that bear trap goes off, I'm thinking of that zombie that throws bear traps at people <laughs> in that movie, um, and and how effective bear traps really are as a you know as, as a deterrent as a as a weapon. And it is great to see the bat on the back of a moving chainsaw, like yes. a, a giant you know chainsaw on i said wheels earlier but i think it's actually on tracks like a tank yeah, more more yeah. than uh more than wheels i don't know maybe i'm wrong i i'm having trouble remembering sure, like sure. it's know, it's what heavy the bottom duty. Part, yeah. <laughs> like it. um but I, I think shortly following that bear trap we get another one that jumps up there and of course the bear trap's gone now this fucking dude turns around and blows it away with a shotgun yes yes like that's the action boner that every 15 year old needs and this movie has it mixed in with all the other stuff. Mixed exactly. In with character stuff. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something I really didn't. Um, well, I, I, I don't know if I kind of did or did not expect it. it. It is something that took me by pleasant surprise. This movie does not shy away from gore. This no. movie has so much gore. I mean, this movie is downright nasty in a lot of scenes. I mean, when we see uh, uh, vampires' heads get blown off, sometimes those are in pretty quick shots, which I think kind of makes sense because there's not a lot of practical effects in here. Like, there is some CGI, which good on them. They don't show it too long, so it doesn't, you, don't, you can't like notice the jankiness of it. But right. when they have to have like somebody's throat get slit or um, a Josh Hartnett, Hartnett's taking an axe to that guy in the swing set and stuff like that, they right. don't shy away from it at all. And there, there's also something, which we'll get into more because there's so much psychological stuff to talk about this movie. The color palette of this movie, of this weird like white, dark, like snow and darkness and stuff to the 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 deep red of the blood they use is just beautiful. Like, it it accentuates the gore in a way that I usually don't approve of, which I mean, when I'm watching this, there's some times where I am getting squeamish because I think it looks so realistic. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, they... Uh, I I think the scene that is coming to mind for me is actually when, when Josh Hartnett's brother has to kill that child. Oh, yes. Vampire. Yes. Um, and I, I don't think they do like a close-up on her neck or anything, but I, I think we see like bro- blood running down her body. Down her body, and, and after they after he chops the head off and they drop her, there's blood on the wall and stuff like that, <clears> you know? Yeah. Um, fantastic little moment. I'm, I'm, I would have hated this movie so much more if, you know, the brother cuts the little girl's head off, and the little brother, of course, goes into shock because he's, what, 15 or something like that. You yeah, know? yeah, and he's just like, I had to fucking cut an eight-year-old's head off yeah the lesser version of this movie would have been like you know we could have saved her or some shit like that but no (laughs) the two immediate reactions are josh hartnett hugging him like comforting him and mark boone jr immediately going you did the right thing yeah yeah, (laughs) and i am like thank god these characters are not fucking morons you know (laughs) yeah yeah and they they definitely are fully aware of the situation they're in and they are taking it every bit as seriously as they ought to be. Yes. And they don't have any delusions about 
about what's going to happen and what needs to happen. Exactly. And, and for a movie that's this this front-loaded with so many people dying and the townspeople knowing that that's what's happening, that's what you need. It makes more sense in, like, The Mist, where it takes a long time for the people in the grocery store to realize what they're up against. And also right. The Mist has the whole idea of the of the religious people being like, you know, this is Judgment Day and we need to handle it a certain way. Mm-hmm. I, I hate when movies are like... It's like, clearly... You saw this person turn into a zombie. I mean, it, it is one of my problems with the end of Shaun of the Dead, where Shaun's like, but I can't kill my mom. And I'm like, shut up. We're 90 minutes into this movie. It's, it, who cares if it's, your, it's not your fucking mom anymore? I also know that's yeah. kind of the point of the last act of Shaun of the Dead, but it gets too bogged down in that for me. I, I feel you. I mean, I've always kind of felt that way about uh, about the zombie stories where – where people are like, oh, but like it's you know, I I think Walking Dead has one where this dude like kept his daughter oh, in, yeah, for, for yeah. fucking forever, like for several months. It's like, dude, that's that's not your that's not your daughter. Like that's that's a zombie. Like that's a meat robot. Yeah, <clears throat> that wants yeah. to eat. And yeah, anyway, so I, I I've always been like, fucking let that go. Um, but I'm also so when I'm watching movies and like. You know, somebody's kid dies and they're real torn up about it. I'm like, you can just have another one, you know. So like, <laughs> yeah, I've yes. never, I've never necessarily assumed that I was right about that. That maybe I was a little less sentimental. It, it's not that I'm not sentimental. It's it's that I am, I am so willing to accept something and move forward to avoid suffering that. Yeah, that when they're like, oh, you know, we're gonna cry about this forever because our kid died. It's like you can have another one. Just let that one go. Like, yeah, he's already yeah. gone. Like, I let think, him go. I think that's an either an episode of House or one of the similar medical shows where the the father the, the man has to decide, well, either we can save your child or save your wife during childbirth. And House's opinion is like don't burn the factory to save the cow, you know? Like save yeah, the yeah, factory yeah. type of thing. Yep. <laughs> which which of course of course those are very emotionally charged decisions and stuff like that and and media probably does not portray them in the way that happens in real life and stuff like that but I'm like I'm I'm with you like understand the situation you know <laughs> Oh yeah I mean and this is something like I've I've talked to my wife about it like I think it might have even been that episode of house she looked at me she was like if this is ever the situation like save me and I was like yeah <laughs> duh like <laughs> nice <laughs> I'm like it's I you know I don't even know this kid Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, what if this kid turns out to suck? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, that's like I said. Maybe I'm not sentimental enough. Maybe, maybe I'm unrealistic about the way that I would feel about it in that situation. Whatever. But I, you know, sometimes you just gotta let shit go. No, I'm, I'm with you. And 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 our personal feelings on this, of course, bleed into this. But but putting them aside as as far as we can, this is what makes a good movie. I, I don't want to watch characters get bogged down in bullshit that doesn't matter. Like, an ethical choice that does not impact the fact that there are vampires outside trying to kill them, you know? Yeah. Like, I love the fact that they just go, okay, we got to kill them, we got to keep going, you know? that That's it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It, it makes for a movie that moves, it doesn't slow down, and I mean... When this movie does slow down, it's purposeful. It's for those ethical moments and those humanistic element character study moments, which is which is so good. Um, but I really like the way you put it, where they then sprinkle in all these insane, gory action scenes um, that you know scratch that that teenage itch. And I would say scratched my itch. This is the right balance of 
like mm-hmm. human character study sitting in an attic talking to each other, dealing with the um, dementia-riddled dementia father and stuff like that versus right. the let's just see people get wrecked. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I even like that after after they do the killing of the little girl, there's a moment where they're like, did anybody even know her? Yeah, yeah. Like, who was like she this, and stuff like that? Yeah. Like, this person... We we just took this person's life. Well, I mean, their life was already gone. We took this vampire's life, and like we can't even take a moment um, a moment to mourn her because we don't even know who the fuck she is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, there was something about that that I was like, oh, that's I like that. Like that feels that feels pretty great. You know, it's like <clears throat> obviously from like a, a fucked up way, but it's like it's like a realistic thing that would happen. You, like in a zombie scenario, you live in a small town. Like you don't know yes, everybody. You might yes. know a lot of people. But but you're going to have to end up killing people and being like, I can't even, like, have a moment of silence for you because I don't know who the fuck you are. Yeah. Well, I, I really like the way you put that. Realistic. That's the it, – it, it glosses over all the bullshit, emotional, empathetic stuff that other movies would do. And then it puts on the realistic touch of, like, well, we know most people. Does anybody know who this was? You know? it's And, yeah. and that type of thing. Um, which right. is great. It's a great, great touch. Um and that, that's the thing that shocked me. I know I've said it before, but I want to reiterate, shocked me about this movie. I had no memory of it being this, you know, character study, of this, this psychological mm. and stuff like that. Uh, and I was just so pleasantly surprised that it went into so many depressingly dark moments that make you think. I mean, even the, uh, I, I don't, I, the Mist might have been like the same year or the year after this. The Mist was also when I was late in high school. Um, but the thing that, of course, really made me think of The Mist was when they find Billy in his house and the reveal that he killed his family, but then the gun yeah. jammed. And yep. I'm like, I'm like, this is uh, my literal note is this is so fucking dark and I am all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was some great shit. Um where Billy was like, I was going to kill myself, too. I just couldn't. <laughs> and I love that that once again reinforces Josh Hartnett's character and his his motivation of being like, it's your family. That's what you do to protect them at all costs. You know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the idea is, and correct me if I'm wrong, the idea is that Billy killed them when they were human. They were not turning into vampires yeah, Yes, or he killed right? them so they would not be uh, yeah, yeah. eaten and, and, and or turned. Because at this point, they don't. They really didn't know. He knew people were were screaming and dying, and and uh, probably could see them being eaten. But he yes. may have not known whether they would have been turned or not. Um, and I think the, a, a very humanistic thing. I love that line from Billy because, of course, they find Billy because he's doing his flashlight thing to them at the uh, at the station. And right. I love the line where he's like, "I shouldn't have reached out to you, but I couldn't stand being by myself." Yeah, and that yeah. I'm just like that is that is the pure encapsulation of what I love about these types of psychological survival elements is that they are comparing the human need to survive and the human condition for connection and stuff with like the the emotional choice to end suffering type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's there's so many layers and it's so complex <clears throat> and I am in no way shape or form equipped with the education or training to really understand these feelings in humans, but man do they make me feel something that I really like to think about. <laughs> yeah, and and um you know, I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that you didn't remember it being this much of a character study. Honestly, as many times as I've seen this movie, which is which is at least a handful. You know, I've seen this movie at least 5 times. 
um, the the most recent of which being almost a decade ago <laughs> before this. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. It, oh God. Oh my God. I don't even want to think about that. Uh, it was probably 2013 or 14 when we watched this in Athens. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did not remember it being this intensive a character study, uh, which I think goes to the point that it does have the action in it that you're looking for uh, mixed in with that character study. It's like, you know, uh, we we get the the crazy scene of the town going nuts and the fire and and we get the the, the murder of Gus and and the oil pipeline workers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and the various, uh, you know, other scenes where we get a lot of action, but then we also get all this character study stuff. And, and I, I just didn't, didn't remember how heavy it was yeah, and how, yeah. how dark it gets. And I was like, damn, this is kind of a, kind of a weird experience to be seeing something I'm this familiar with. And also not, they're this not familiar with, you know, I, I, <clears throat> I'm, I'm interested in that too, because I, I, like I said at the start, I was so, I, I remembered so little of this movie and and I had seen The Mist before this because I saw The Mist in theaters um, on a date. That was real weird time. Um, but I, I I remember like I loved that movie and I've always loved that movie for the psychological elements of it, for the survival elements of it. Um, and then when we watched it, I remember I like I'm like why didn't I see it that way or something? I would love to know what like a 15 or 16 year old of today would think about this movie, you know, sure, sure. like would, would they go like, man, there wasn't enough action or would they be like, Oh my God, I don't want to think about this. It's too scary. You know, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, the, the reason I, I, I say that is because also <clears throat> I don't think there have been many, if any, I can't even, I'll have to think some more, but I cannot think of one off the top of my head of a psychological survival movie like this in, in recent times. Uh, closest thing that comes to mind for me is like Bird Box or whatever. That Sandra Bullock movie. Oh, where... I had not seen that, but from what I know about that, that comes off across as much more goofy than dark type of thing. Uh, yeah, it is. It's not as dark. It's definitely not as well. But done that's as a this. good point. That's what they're going for. Y- yeah, th- uh, this Bird Box, and I want to say that there's another one, but I might just be mixing up and like thinking of a different part of that movie as 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 like this a different movie. But it, okay. no, I, th- I think it is. I think it is just that. It's. I think it's just Bird Box. Uh, I went on a rant once with Zach. I think on this podcast where I called that movie Bright Box. And he was like, no, Rob, you're, conf- you're conflating two movies. You're conflating the Netflix movie Bright and the Netflix movie Bird Box. And I said, if Netflix cuts off the, the trailers of one and the intro of the other and plays them consecutively against your will, they're the same movie. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so I, I do want to talk about there's some, uh, there's some dialogue in this movie. And I think that goes into a lot of the elements of the, the psychological elements we've been talking about. But before we get to the dialogue, I did want to mention... Um, the performances in this in these in this movie um, okay. mentioned Mark Boone Jr. When's he bad? Mark Boone Jr. is always great. I mean, uh, I have not seen Sons of Anarchy, which I know he's a major character on. But uh, of course, Ben, we will know always know him as the guy double charging uh, Guy Pierce for rooms in Memento. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and then also, which I, I had to look up, but he's the um, he's the the shitty friend of the shitty person Steve Buscemi in Trees Lounge. <laughs> sure. Um, Tom, Mark Boone Jr. is always good. He's great in this movie. I love his hero moment, which I'm sure we'll talk more about because that's a great action sequence. But with the uh, bear trap and the trencher and stuff like that. 
uh, mentioned uh, Ben Foster. So surprised by how good he was in this movie. He's very much a, a very, very supporting role, but I oh, love yeah. him, you know, taunting the uh, younger brother from the prison cell and stuff like that. Ooh, thanks for the plastique. Yes, thanks for the plastique. I'll bring it upon pick of the lock, you know. And it's like, yeah. are you are you doing like a, like an Italian man from Alabama accent? Like, what is this, <laughs> you know? And it's great, you know. It's it's wonderful. I love him showing uh, showing down uh, showing off with Josh Hartnett in the diner at the beginning, where he's like, "I'd like to see you make me try to go outside or whatever the fuck he says," yeah, yeah. you know. Um, <clears throat> very surprised. I, I haven't I seen like Ben Foster that. in a lot of things, but he was so bad in the mechanic. I remember saying he he had one facial expression and it was stupidity or something like that. You know, um, he was so good in this. I was so shocked. Um, gotta mention Stella, Melissa George. I think she's uh, maybe not amazing in this movie, but I have to bring her up because I think she's serviceable. I, I don't think there's a bad performance in this movie. I should say, um, but she was serviceable. But the whole movie. I'm like, I know her. I'm like, where do I know Melissa George from? Right. And I, I looked it up afterwards, and Ben, we're slowly going down the list. She's another one of the cheerleaders from Sugar and Spice. <laughs> I think we, we've covered like three out of the six now or something like that in oh, other boy. movies. <laughs> because oh, one boy. of them was uh, the um, Maria Sokoloff from Dude, Where's My Car? And I know we did another Mira Sorvino movie, so it's just like um, we're slowly getting through all the main cheerleaders of Sugar and Spice. Um, but Melissa George suffers from the condition where her teeth are too big for her mouth and which she never closes her mouth because of it. Did you notice that in this movie? She never closes her mouth? Yeah. You can always see those teeth, what? which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with. She's a very attractive I... woman. But, man, <clears throat> if, you know if she, if she closes her mouth – it's going to look wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, now that you mentioned that, like a lot of the vampires also did that, like not yeah. because their teeth were too big, but they would just like look up and like have their mouth like partially open all the time. I thought that was kind of a, a weird decision. Yes. Um, yes. I, I get that from the production standpoint of all the fake teeth is, are huge, you know, and so sure, sure. that's rough um, and good on them for not like, touching it up with cg because that would have looked stupid like i'm fine with them baring their teeth you know they're vampires right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and it was interesting they went the route of instead of having sharp canines they just have all their teeth are sharp yeah every um like every everything that could be sharp on their body was sharp because they all have the nails too oh yeah yeah they did yeah yeah right. yeah um that's a good thing. We should talk about the vampire design in this movie. Um, but I also want to mention, like I said, uh, Nathaniel Lees as the metal grinder guy. He doesn't really have much to do until he has the monologue of how he doesn't want to live forever. I thought he was great. I, I really liked even the, um, you know, the, the all the survivors in the attic, like the diner owner, the, the girl who just lives, like survives with them the whole time. Um, they were all fine. Uh, but the other the other ones we should mention are Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett, you know, we've covered on this podcast before. Ben, you were not around for it, but we covered him way back when, uh, when Zach and I did Titanic. I think uh, I he was also in in Rouge de Guerre. Oh, of course, of course, and, <clears throat> and Wrath of Man. He for like one scene, he's one of the yeah. uh, armored car drivers. I think he has a really homophobic name or something, right? Like, oh, like Fucky Boy or something like that, I, or, yeah, or Sucky Boy probably. or something like that. I'm glad you reminded me of Ruse de Guerre because he is really good in that one scene of Ruse de Guerre. Natasha, who let him on my plane? <laughs> um, I, I'm a little, I'm, like I said, I don't think there's a bad performance in this movie. I was a little kind of like, I don't know, 
I didn't think Josh Hartnett was great in this. I thought he played the role he was given. He's the stoic, you know, um, sheriff of the town. He's trying to keep everything together. Uh, he's smart. He's quick on his feet, you know, and stuff like that. I just thought he was kind of a little metered in some of his delivery and stuff like that. But I think that was also kind of the point because he does do a good job at holding back tears through a lot of the movie. Like, you can tell he's about to break. Yeah, yeah. He definitely uh, is playing the stoic older brother that has to hold it together. Yeah, yeah. Um, which does come through, but I, but I can agree that it's... It it doesn't give him a lot to do in terms of actual like acting because there's there's not as much to do in delivery where he just like has I mean there is a little bit because like he has to look like he's holding it together and he does uh, at times like you said he looks like he's holding back tears yeah but at other times like looking like you're holding it together and just being are pretty much the same thing sure and yeah. so <laughs> yeah so it doesn't give him a ton to do but you know I don't think his character is written poorly because of that I think that that's a that is the character you would need. Absolutely. He, he's yeah. the, you know, he, he's the, the man that's going to hold it together during a storm um, kind of thing. And that, that's something you want. I think in, that's a good in way a to situation put it. like this. Yeah, I, it's, it's a fine needle to thread. And <clears throat> I think that the way it's portrayed <clears throat> is is the best possible way it could have been done. You know, you never need a big we, we don't get and I don't think you need a big freak out scene or a constant like never changing to emotion type of scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the line he carries it across is probably the best thing that could come out of this movie. And even though he doesn't have a lot of acting to do, I mean, there's, there's lines to be delivered and things like that. Um, something I did not know until doing my research, um, gotta throw it up to Josh Hartnett because we've loved it ever since we talked about it on the Statham series. Apparently, Josh Hartnett did all of his own stunts for this movie. Not something oh. I would expect from Josh Hartnett, you know? I, I kind of have always thought of Josh Hartnett maybe emphasized by his role in Ruse de Guerre as, like, the pretty boy type of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have expected... I mean, how many stunts does he really have in this movie? I guess he does, like, some fight scene stuff with the vampires towards the end, and he does... I don't know, I'm... Does he do like some car stuff? I'm trying to remember. I think there's a little bit of car stuff. I think it's nothing like crazy. He's not doing any Statham level stunts, but you know, there's, I'm sure there's certain things that like for a movie of this budget, you know, maybe what was a $30 million, him being the lead insurance would have been like, okay, if he has to, you know, if he has to be in a car that's going to get flipped over, because there's the scene where the vampires flip over the car that him and Stella are driving, they'd be like, no, 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 do not put him in that car. But apparently he was like, fucking put me in that car, you know? (laughs) <clears throat> Fair enough. Good for um, him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good for Josh Hartnett, um, who we may or may not be talking more about as the month goes on. Um, <laughs> um, ben, though. No, I don't think so. There is, to me, a clear standout performance in this movie that I think might not be the best performance of this movie, but one of the best supporting roles uh, performances I've ever seen that I've been sleeping on. I didn't do a deep dive into, like, what else came out in 2007. Like, how would I rank this? Like, would I give this a nomination or something? Okay. But it is Danny Houston as the head vampire. Oh, sure. How fucking convincing he is as this vampire. And, I mean, just everything about this role is... I mean, it's it's a tough role, you know? You gotta be caked in makeup with these fake teeth the whole movie. You gotta... You gotta have... 
this speak this weird language, which they they did the the good thing movies should do is you know they they hired a linguist to make up a language to make it consistent and stuff like that, you know, um, which which I shouldn't say is the right thing to do because they did that for like accents on the M Night Shyamalan movie After Earth, and that was a fucking atrocity. Um, <laughs> that's more carried by the fact that Will and James Smith can't do accents that great. But, you know, that's a story for another time. But every time Danny Houston was on screen, the choices he makes, it's like he goes over the top when he needs to. He pulls back when he needs to. The fact that he has a specific gait and a specific stance in every scene that is very much distinguishable from all of the other vampires was wonderful. I was blown away by his performance. Yeah, he definitely sticks out as, like, the lead vampire um, I, I think the best instance of it is when um, it's near the end of the movie. It's the it's the third act when they bust open the vampires bust open the pipeline. Uh, they fill the town with oil and they light it on fire. And there's this shot that like starts low and and goes high from behind the crowd of vampires to raise up to show the town of Barrow burning. Mm-hmm. And everything that's been done in the movie, you know that you are seeing Danny Houston from the back. You know it's him. He doesn't blend in with the other vampires. But sure. the choice, which might not be Danny Houston's choice exactly, it might also be the director's choice or some other somebody else's choice, Danny Houston is in the back of the group of vampires so- at Sophie's that moment. Sophie's choice? It could be, well, maybe. I mean, I don't know if it, was, <laughs> if it would have been like, you know, life or death situation. But I love the fact that very much he's, he's the leader and he's characterized as the leader, but... He's not the one who's always like, I stand out and I'm bigger than the rest and I, you know, do all this stuff, you know? I, I think there, a lesser movie would have had a scene where, like, another one of the rando vampires kills some human and he jumps in and slashes the other vampire's face and it's like, rah, 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 like, don't do that, you're stupid, you know, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, challenges his authority exactly. or something. Exactly. Yeah. We never get any of that bullshit. And yeah, there's none of the inner uh, infighting that you, that yes. you would get from... Yeah. Dan- and then a movie that wastes the time. It was really solidified for me. Well, well, two things. Um, we should mention it's, it's the scene that you pointed out to me many, many years ago, which is still a standout scene of this movie. When they're using the little girl as bait, and nobody comes out. Danny Houston confronts her, and she's like, "I tried, I tried," and she says, "Oh, please, God!" And Danny Houston says God and looks up in the sky. It's a wonderful pause. I'll put the clip in because the pause is the <clears throat> perfect, exact right amount of time, and then goes. No, God. And it is wonderful. It is so chilling. It is so harrowing. It's delivered perfectly. I'm just all about it. <laughs> Absolutely. It is a terrifying thing. Uh, you know, to imagine being in that girl's shoes in that moment, like, that is horrifying. Yes. Yeah, like, the one thing that you have for Savior, whether or not you believe in God in that moment, I think that that's another reason I love it so much, is for someone who is not like, you know... I. If I was in that in that situation, I would probably say, oh, God, or something like that, you know, because as Ben and I have talked about, what is God to us? It's an expletive, you know, it's a it's a word to say in a certain situation, like fuck. It's an expletive to you. It's it's not exactly that to me. Okay, sure. Yes, that's fair. That's fair. But I would probably say something along those lines, you know, and for it to carry the fact that it's like, oh, it's not like. The, uh, only God, she's not like, only God can save me now. It's like, this is what any person would do, and this is how the vampire would take it. Because mm. the vampire's been around for, what, a bajillion years or some shit like that, you know? Yeah, uh, they they even, um, towards the end, and this is something I, up until now, I, I, for whatever reason, hadn't thought of. He says something like, we spent thousands of years trying to make them think we were just a bad dream. Do you remember that line in okay. this movie? I, 
this is something I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Did the vampire speech have subtitles when you watched it? Yes. Okay. I watched this. I have. I've had a copy on this um, of my on my hard drive for a while. I chose to watch it as I do usually for first watches without subtitles. All of the vampire scenes had no subtitles for me. Oh. And I thought that added immensely to the power of this movie. Because the vampires are not speaking for very long. I thought everything was conveyed immensely just by the physicality of Danny Houston's performances in, in performance in the scenes where he was talking oh, yeah. to people. I was that's why it added so much more to me. That I'm so glad because I was doing my research and I was looking up stuff and it's like, oh, like Danny Houston has this line. I'm like, Danny Houston has one line. It's God, no God. Every other line is him clicking and clacking and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think this movie was raised immensely by the fact that none of the vampire I could I could not understand any of the vampires in this movie. That's nuts. Um, <laughs> well, this also I, goes to, goes to show that this is they're not hard coded in the movie, which I think is interesting. Because usually, uh, if, if movies have, you know, if there's a foreign language and you see the subtitles, like in, say, Inglorious Bastards or, like, a, you know, any, any foreign movie um, or an English movie where foreign actors are speaking to each other, the, the subtitles are hard-coded in. Like in Bullet Train and stuff like that. That's a recent example I think of. Th- that means I have there, – there is a version of this movie where the subtitles were not hard-coded in. So that's why mm-hmm. I didn't think anything of it. I'm watching this here, and with my little memory of it, I'm going like – Oh, I just, I'm like, I thought nothing of it. I'm like, I just don't think I'm supposed to know what they're saying, you know? Sure, sure. That definitely would have would have made for a terrifying experience, um, m- much more in the, like, horror genre, whereas I'm like, re- well, it's, it's in the version that I watched, like, I watch, because I always watch with subtitles on yeah. anyway, they were double subtitled. Mm. So, in the okay. version I watched, they I think they were hard-coded. Interesting. And then the subtitle track also had them. This might be um, something you should check out your DVD because I didn't I couldn't find anything at it. Maybe there's like on the DVD you can choose like the the vampire version or the non-vampire version or something like that. I, you yeah, know? I don't know. I'll have to look because it that. has to exist because I have it. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's interesting. Um, yeah, I I did not get that experience. I kind of wish I had now, but but yeah. So in in the version, did you watch it with, with um, the vampire subtitles on so that you? No, no, I just, I, I only know what they were saying based on, because um, that's when I was digging into the comic and seeing the differences between the comic and the movie, that's where I started to get the thought. I was like, oh, was I supposed to have known what they were saying? You know, that type of thing. Because apparently a lot of the stuff the vampires are saying in this are related to the comic series. Okay. Yeah, so there's, it's, um, at the end when, when they are burning down bar, uh, Barrow, mm-hmm. Barrow, Barrow, however you pronounce it. I've been listening to a podcast called Old Gods of Appalachia, and I, th- I think there's oh, a Barrow. Sure, I've heard of that. Uh, yeah. Kentucky or something in, in it. So, I, But I think they, they call it Barrow in this movie. Um, the Danny Houston is talking about, like, we have to, you know, put – burn down the city. And, and the reasoning he gives is that the vampires have, have spent – thousands of years trying to make humans believe that they're not real yes yes um which i i found to be like a phenomenal thing i, I loved that i loved the idea of these vampires being like humans we don't want them to know about us we we don't like until we are there they need to be unaware and i thought that was 
very interesting. That is a really cool idea, and I'm glad you've explained that to me now because that is um, the the major difference between the movie and the comic series is that in in so in the comic series this basic same premise is going to be happening. Like, there's this uh, town uh, of Barrow, Alaska, that's going into 30 Days a Night phenomenon, and this group of vampires is going to attack the town and take them out for a night of feeding. But there's another vampire that goes to Barrow to try and stop those vampires because they think that an attack of this magnitude will inform the humans that uh, um, th- like uh, that vampires exist, and that's kind of okay. like the push and pull of the comic is that there's like you know two factions of vampires type of thing. Mm. Um, so I'm glad that they they touch on that notion of vampires trying to stay hidden in the movie through this this vampire dialogue type of thing. Yeah, I, honestly, I I feel like I like the movie version better than what you just described. Like I don't need a vampire on the human side. I, oh, I like you. the idea yeah. of of the vampires being completely against the humans and then being like, we have to cover everything up and, you know, next year we'll attack a different city. Yeah. Which also on that point, I love that idea in the version that I watched. I didn't get Danny Houston talking about that to the other vampires. We still get it through dialogue from the humans because there's the thing when they're like, oh, they're burning the town and the, the people are like, well, nobody's going to know what happened here. They're going to go on to Wainwright. They're going to go on to this other town, you know, and and it's just going to seem like a big old accident. And I'm like, that's a fucking great idea. And that's another thing. This is, I think this added to this element, me not knowing what the vampires were saying and just it being portrayed through physicality and pantomime, like through the, the physical performances. I was yeah, like, yeah. these vampires are smart, and I really appreciate that. I really appreciate smart villains. Sure, yeah. They, well, they definitely are. They, they have very deliberate motives and their actions and the consequences they want, you know, as a result of their actions, I think are very deliberate and, and it's all, yeah, they're definitely not dummies. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I am, I am, I find it so fascinating because that was the thing that blew me away in my research. I was like, wait, was I, was I supposed to know what these vampires were saying? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. and it didn't strike me as odd. Well, like I said, while I was watching it, I was just enthralled and it never goes on long enough that I think like, Oh, I'm missing something. It's not like, okay. um, I, I, I have a version of, um, only God Forgives, the uh, Nicholas Winding Revan, uh, Ryan Gosling movie that takes place, I, I think, a lot in Thailand or something. Um, yeah, yeah. And I have a version of that that has no hard-coded subtitles, and I tried to watch it once, and I was like, th- I was like, this entire movie is in a different language. This is not what I'm supposed to be watching, you know? <laughs> Never yeah. got that feeling for this one. I was, like, I was like, this is horrifying, but I felt like I got what they were going for, you know? Like, I, I understood, like... Um, were there was there vampire dialogue when um uh Josh Hartnett UV light rays like Danny Houston's queen or whatever like his love interest and he has to kill uh, her when she gets like half burnt type of thing nothing beyond nothing nothing more than like this is what has to happen or okay like okay that. yeah but see like, I, that's that's what i'm saying i got that completely from the the physicality of those performances right no there there's really um that's something that they did that that I found kind of interesting is having the subtitles. The vampires never talk for very long. Yes, they never have a lot to say, and like that, I I found that a little interesting. Being like I I am seeing subtitles for them. I know what they're saying. Like they are very brief in in their communication, and I thought I just thought that was I I didn't it didn't detract from the movie or anything. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Sure, but sure. given what you experience, I, it has me questioning: is was that really an intended 
way that this movie could have been watched. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I I can only imagine that in when I saw it in theaters we did have the subtitles for the vampires cuz I I I remember certain things, you know, but I I'm not sure. Okay. It's, it's okay. been so long. I I can't say for certain. Yeah, yeah. That is that is really cool. Um, that uh, I, I thought, it, but I think that adds a lot of points to Danny Houston's performance, where I did not explicitly know what he was saying, but I was just enthralled by what he was going for, and uh, and it sounds like like I got the gist of it, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and he's so good. I have to mention also, it's uh, it's right before I think like the big showdown when they're uh, when they're in the metal grinding place. Um, what do they call it? I, once again, I was not watching with subtitles. It sounds like they call it the Utilidor. What? Yeah, Utilidor is what it's Utilidor. called. Utilidor. Okay, okay. I just um, don't. I'm, <clears throat> I'm, un, I'm unfamiliar with that term, and I did not look it up or anything. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know what it is. I assumed that it was like a one-stop shop for utilities. That sounds um, right. I mean, there's a metal grinder. That's where the pipeline goes through. There was a helicopter there from the beginning, you know. <laughs> uh, it's a Canadian noun, an above-ground insulated network of pipes and cables used to convey water and electricity in communities situated in areas okay. of permafrost. There you go. Right on. Right on. Um, but it, it's when they're all, like, huddled up in the utilidor and the vampires are closing in, there's a scene where Danny Houston is, like, kneeled over a uh, a dead person and I think, like, we don't see him drinking blood or anything, but we see him basically, like, get back up. And as he's getting back up, his hands are filled with blood, and he slicks back his hair with the blood. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, the fucking Fonz ain't got nothing on this guy. Like, this yeah, is the coolest motherfucker shit. I've seen, you know? <laughs> <laughs> He is so good in this movie. It was incredible. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm happy to hear this perspective on it. I, I'm like, I'm a little jealous. I didn't get to see it without the vampire. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's like that. That sounds pretty fucking neat. Um. So, so performances are great. I mean, Danny Houston's a standout. All that stuff. Josh Hartnett, as we described it, does ride a fine line. He does really well. Um. I I love because I think carried by these performances. I love some of the tiny bits of dialogue. I think the one I really want to highlight is when they're stuck in the general store and the uh, the the whiteout is stopped, like the blizzard stops. So they're like, oh, we can't move now. You know, we have to we mm-hmm. have to figure out another plan. And um, they start talking about like, oh, we have to either wait it out for the sunlight, and they come to the realization of like the UV light from the uh, the grow up from the grandma's house and stuff like that. Uh, Mark Boone Jr. has a wonderful line where he says, "Just because something stopped Bella Lugosi doesn't mean it can stop these things." <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, very much getting at the fact that they don't know that these are vampires. Which is, yeah. a, which is a fair criticism of this movie. I think from the movie itself, or any audience member at this point, I think it is a fair criticism that nobody in this movie should jump to the fact that, like, oh, these are vampires. Like what the, the brother does, because he's 15, and he's like, oh, they, they drank blood from Grandma Helen, or whatever, you know? Yeah. But yeah. he's in shock and all that stuff. But then they include the perfect little bit of dialogue where Stella says, why would they send the stranger to cut, a, cut us off if they couldn't handle the light? Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, the fucking writers of this movie and the producers and the director, they just saw that Cracked.com bullshit coming from a mile away and punched it right in the face before it could even fucking exist. I'm like, that's the best goddamn answer to the question of, like, 
Who, who fucking knows if sunlight kills them? Where it's like, well, we actually have evidence of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they definitely, like you said, they didn't know exactly what they were dealing with. But they knew that they sent uh, Ben Foster in. Yes, yes. When, for, for no discernible reason. Because they could have just started the assault. They knew that they were, I mean, the, the, the reason for waiting till it's all nighttime could be that they can see in the dark and, and humans can't or something like mm-hmm. that. But I mean, uh, it's it's probably not too far fetched to assume that they're wait they waited for this and we haven't seen them with night uh, night vision gear. Yeah, yeah. Because they are somehow naturally inclined to the dark, and you know, like that mixed with the fact that they sent Ben Foster in, which kind of really gives it away that that e- either sunlight is harmful to them or at the very least it's very uncomfortable for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and turns out to be, I just think that's a, that's the perfect little bit of explanation that the movie needs to give itself. You know, the movie doesn't need to spend any more time explaining that these are vampires. I think Mm -hmm. also because they're not the traditional essence of vampires, like we talked about, you know, I, and it doesn't need to ignore it as well. It, It spends the exact right amount of time of saying, like, this is what we're dealing with, and these are the facts, and so we have to try everything that we can, or try these things, because what else are we going to do? Right. Well, in, like, uh, Josh Hartnett's character, or, or, no, I guess it's Stella's character, is like, you don't even think this is going to work? He's like, no, but you do. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, he, like they, they even have his character be doubtful, um, and, he's, and he's like, fucking, I don't know what else I can do. It actually uh, a little bit reminds me of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's like where they in in that they have like a more distorted face than in this, mm-hmm. but they but they have like a more demonic presence. Whereas you know it's like in this it's like they have a little bit of that demonic presence, but it's emphasized more through their teeth than through their skin. Yes. Um, aside from the fact that their skin is actually like a different color than human skin, in in this. Sure. Yeah. Very pale, like a bluish pale almost. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 Um, have you ever seen Near Dark? It's another vampire movie from, I think, much earlier than this. Uh, it's a Catherine Bigelow movie, a woman who did uh, Point Break and Hurt Locker and stuff like that. I have not seen Near Dark. I'm I, looking it up now. Okay. It's 1987. Yeah, I have not seen that either, but I saw a lot of comparisons between those vampires and these in that they stray from the traditional vampire formula and go for more of like the horrifying aspect, like the the um, the, the undead or the zombie-esque type of thing. More demonic, okay. maybe, is the way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always wanted to check that movie out because I like Catherine Bigelow, and uh, that's one of her movies I have not seen. Um, but, uh, near dark, I saw a lot of comparisons between these two movies, uh, when I, when I was doing my research. Neat. Yeah. I'll, we'll have to put that on our list. Um, there, there's also some similarities between the use of vampire blood in both of the movies that came up, but, uh, I think that's something, uh, that we'll get to, but no, these vampires are great. Um, I, I think they are, they have a great design. Um, I like that one of the vampires, well, all the vampires have names, but they're not stated in the movie. Maybe they're stated in the, uh, in the dialogue, but they're all in the credits because I get, didn't get to see their dialogue. There's the one bald vampire who has like the really wrinkly head. He, yeah, looked, yeah. he looks like, uh, he looks like <clears throat> great, like Dave Batista. great value brand Dave Batista. That was exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. 
<laughs> He's the Dave Batista your mom says you have at home. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but it's like he stood out, you know. Even the um, I, I get, I don't know, the the queen is what I thought of her as, the like bird the one, lady? the the bird lady. Yes, absolutely. The, the yeah. D Reynolds of of this <laughs> the movie. D Reynolds, absolutely. <laughs> um, all all great design, absolutely. Um, I got no problem with them, and and I love the sound that they make. Um, great sound design. Yes. Like the, uh, so, so I, I was digging into that. I was like, oh, this is such good sound design. So the, uh, the screams of the vampires are a mix of the following things. Uh, the actors screaming while inhaling, uh, which is what Ben and I just did, uh, which is what everybody can do at home. If you, uh, if you want to try and, and if you want to try too hard and lose your voice, it's totally possible, you know? Um, so mixed with that, it was recordings of death metal singers, so this, this movie was filmed in New Zealand. They actually built the entire town of Barrow in New Zealand and burnt it to the ground at the end of this movie. Um, so it was all a set. And they did some soundstage stuff, but they apparently found local New Zealand death metal singers and had them record stuff, and they mixed that in. And then I couldn't find anything else about this, but the third part of the mixing was noises from various marsupials. Oh. <laughs> so... I couldn't find witch marsupials. I couldn't find like you know anything anything further. But I think that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, the the death metal thing that you mentioned, uh, I think that that screaming while inhaling is actually like the the first thing that you do when you're learning how to do like the death metal pig sure. squeal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm not surprised that that they also included death metal. I, I'm a little surprised that they had the actors do anything if they were going to include death metal because they should have could have had the death metal people do the pig squeal. That's and... that's a good point. That's a good point. I've always thought of I'm I'm with you that I think of like death metal as also having some layer of inhaling and screaming. Um, when when I was doing the inhaling while screaming, I'm always doing it with like a wide open mouth, like they are in this movie, like <gasps> you know, like, <sighs> like like you can see yeah. my tongue and my tonsils when I do that. You know, Ima- everybody, everybody in the cinema audience, imagine this. Isn't, isn't this what you want to imagine? You know, Ben and I just opening our mouths wide and inhaling and screaming, like sucking air in while we scream. That's great, right? This is podcasting. Um, I've always thought of the death metal thing as more of like you're keeping your mouth more closed, like, you know, like like that. Like So so mouth open would be like, and mouth closed would be, like those are the two versions. I, I like that kind of they're mixing both of them in. But I don't, I don't know what that's what the death metal singers did, but that's kind of my, my mind's eye vision of it. Okay, yeah, I got you. I, I um couldn't tell you I, I know my wife's pretty good at it but i okay okay yeah, right she on. can do the death metal thing uh we sh- i i will take this chunk that of us just making all those noises that will be uh the 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 advertisement for this episode <laughs> 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 no but they sound great and all that stuff i guess speaking of sound i i was mentioning it before but i was i was ready for this movie to just be tons of electric guitar and death metal type noises like i was expecting scenes where a bunch of like guns were going off and and josh hartnett shooting them in the face with shotguns and you're like you know instead it this this soundtrack is so atmospheric and and it's very you know ambient if anything you know i mean it does get heavier at certain points but for the most part it is it is there to set a tone and nothing else yeah, we actually uh, played the soundtrack when we did that one shot D and D campaign. I was that's telling you about. So cool. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. We uh, we didn't get 
as far through it as, as I would have liked uh, on myself. But okay. I, I think the person who tried to run it was a little unprepared. But that that's neither here nor there. The, the fact of the matter is we were all like, this is a good idea. Let's do this. Right on. Uh, there is – this, this is actually something that I, this movie I get to add to the, um, the lexicon of or the, the pantheon of. It's something I never really knew I enjoyed as much as I do until doing this podcast. Um, it, it, it comes up in this movie, and I'm going to explain it, but it also has come up in things like searching. It's come up in things that uh, – you know, another uh, searching might be the best example of it, but there's a moment in this movie where um, Josh Hartnett and Melissa George are out in the car, and I think they don't really know that vampires are attacking yet. They just know that a death has occurred, and so Josh Hartnett is like, "Well, we're going to go scout the area," and like they couldn't have gotten far, type of thing. And yeah. it's the scene where they're they're both in the van or the the truck or whatever, and. Josh Hartnett is like, stop the car, and they stop, stop the car. The truck, yeah. He stop gets the out. He's like, I think I saw something. And Melissa George gets out. She holds up the binoculars, and she sees something in the distance through the binoculars. And she's like, get the back, get the fuck back in the car, you know. Which I think yeah. is a very a very dry, funny joke where he's like, stop the car, and the next line of dialogue is, get the fuck back in the car, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. But the moment when she's looking through the binoculars, you start hearing screams in the distance. And the screams in the distance start to get louder, like, as she's realizing, like, as the character is, you know, diegetically hearing these screams and realizing that something's wrong out there, the screams, when they reach their peak, they blend into, like, orchestra in the score. Get in the truck. And I'm like... Fucking, that's the best. I mean, the thing in searching is when the Gmail ding notification turns into the score during one of the montages. What about study group? I, I, I'm, like, in love with this stuff. I love when they take sounds from the movie and have them transition into the score of the movie. It's, like, the best fucking decision ever. <laughs> Solid. It's it's so I'll put the clip in of course but I'm just like oh my god and you know this is what we're like 25 minutes into the movie and I'm like what well, I'm like why is this so good <laughs> <laughs> No that's that's a neat idea I I um I don't know that I remember really either of those the the Gmail ding or the scream thing but um but that is a neat idea and I uh, if the rental is not yet expired, or if I ever <laughs> figure out how to put up a DVD player in my yes, house somewhere, yes. I will. Uh, I will have to go watch it again. Because um, <clears throat> I like that idea. I like the idea of of the scream transitioning and fading into music, or or maybe not fading. This is our word, but but um, oh, it's the it's the kind best. of building up into the music. It's the best. the The adage that I know we've talked about, and I've been saying for years, the adage in in movie making is sixty percent sound, forty percent visuals. And I'm the one who's like, God, go eighty twenty. You know, like the sound <laughs> is so good. It's the reason I I know I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The reason that Twin Peaks season three is as good as it is is every single episode ends with the credits. Sound designer. One name, David Lynch. He knows how to use sound. I love that stuff. If you can make sound, if you do the sound right, your movie's going to be way up there for me. I love that stuff. Sure. Well, and sound is one of those things that it's like you may not notice how important it is while you're watching. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and, and you might like there's you know in barbarian the dong dong like oh we, my god that's something yeah. that obviously like really sticks out but in this movie the fact that all the all the sound design is all ambiance and and um you know it's like that stuff 
I'm sure added to my viewing experience, yeah. but I also did not necessarily notice it. I think what the, the heaviest and most noticeable this score gets is when like there's an action scene happening and you just are mm-hmm. hearing like clanging, you know, like it's like yeah, ev- yeah. every three seconds there'll be a clang and maybe it is growing in volume as Josh Hartnett is like running for cover or something like that, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's so simple. Barbarian's such a great example of um, her going down uh, that hallway and just not knowing what's going to happen, and it's just like, boom, boom. And, it's just, and I'm just sitting in the theater going like, I I might have a heart attack in real time, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's so fucking uncomfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, the sound design for that movie was... And it's, was it's so much better, and I, I think, once again, it speaks to how we've been steeped in and inundated with this nonsense of, like, I mean... Marvel movies aside, because Marvel movies do the very specific thing of like, oh, here's an action scene. Here's a famous song you kind of know that we remix to make it sound cooler for the modern era, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then I feel like other movies do it, and, you know, they do the, uh, it's like the faux... It's like the faux song you know. That's what I think of like the Resident Evil movies. Like Mila Jovovich is fighting some zombies and maybe it kind of sounds like Metallica, but it's knockoff Metallica, you know? Uh, sure. It, and it's like that's the stuff. I'm like, no. It's like this movie doesn't need a soundtrack. This movie needs an ambiance, a score, you know, that type of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, that, that adds so much to it. It's so good. And I was even expecting, that was the one thing. When this movie ended, I was like, God damn it. I'm, I'm like the ending credits are going to start and they're going to play fucking like we can take you higher, you know, or some shit <laughs> like that, you know, and they didn't. The The end credits music is, is more of the score. Like it's it's very yep. soft, depressing music because this movie's very depressing and it fits so well, you know. <laughs> yeah, they they definitely uh, did, a, did a great job with the score. Oh, it's beautiful. And... I gotta get the, I gotta get if you were playing the music for this for your D and D thing I gotta get this I gotta find some files for this because I would listen to this and be like oh my god you know uh, I didn't notice that from the movie or something like that sure you know? sure oh yeah no it was and it was a great time it was awesome to to just have like a Bluetooth speaker or something probably not a Bluetooth speaker sure, because of the yeah. year that was it was probably actually the speakers hooked up to my computer that yeah. were in my room <laughs> when we did this and being like yeah we're fucking jamming out to this like ridiculously dark ambiance music and and uh fighting vampires that is so cool um ben can i can i tell you i got i got two things to bring up one thing i absolutely did not like in this movie the other thing is something i don't know what to think about which i want to pick your brain on so can i tell you the thing i absolutely did not like in this movie yeah, bring it on. Little girl vampire, when they find her in the general store, has the line of dialogue. I'm done with this one. Will you play with me now? Or something, whatever the fuck she says. Yeah. Hated that. I was like, that removes the gory, horrifying essence of what we're seeing, you know? Right. That makes yeah, it come it across feels... as like Annabelle or some conjuring yeah, shit, exactly. you know? That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry, I tried <laughs> no. to mute it. I didn't succeed. <laughs> no, you're um, good. <laughs> I'm going to make that the whole intro. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, feeling that we talked about where it's like this movie doesn't play like a horror movie. It's like that's maybe like the one exception is when when she does that like obviously creepy dialogue that it doesn't make any sense that just a regular kid would be saying. Do you do you know what I suspect that was, which I don't have proof of? Maybe I'll check this in editing or something. I suspect that was in there to be a trailer moment. 
They were going to show off in the trailer that a little kid was a vampire and the little kid said something creepy. Because with everything we said this movie isn't about the time it was existing in, doesn't that scream the type of trailer that would have existed in late 2000s? Yeah, you're you're probably on to something there. And I I have to agree with you. That that line comes across as like... it just doesn't feel like it belongs in the movie. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And it, it yeah. So I, I'm with you. I, I also, I also hated that line. For a vampire horror movie, that I, that, that's what I thought of this movie as while going, while sitting down. You know, for it, that's what I thought of it as. For a vampire horror movie, and that to be the one thing I absolutely did not like in this film. That's a. F- that's a fucking amazing right there because <laughs> that is oh the, yeah yeah that this is movie's a banger dude. one thing i really just outright was like nope don't like it you know yeah, um yeah, yeah. now here's the thing this is what i wanted to pick your brain on i still don't know how i feel about this i don't think whatever we talk about now and whatever we you know when we throw these ideas back and forth i'm not gonna hate this movie this movie is a fantastic movie I think it is it is very well done. I, I mean, we haven't even talked about some of the directing. Some of the shots in this are beautiful and stuff like that. I love the color palette of this. I, I have some of that in the background I want to talk about it, uh, talk about with. But I don't know how I feel about the last 15 minutes. The last 15 minutes being Josh Hartnett turning himself into a vampire to have a one-on-one fisticuffs fight with Danny Houston. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. Now, here's That's, the thing. Uh, this, is, this is what I want to pick your brain on. I don't have an answer to the question of how would it be done better. I don't. Uh, I, I do want to <clears> mention, <throat> this is how the comic series ends. This is faithful to the comic book series okay. and the original source material. So, I have to give them some points for that. I am, I'm fine with them, you know, doing this thing. I'm fine with Josh Hartnett, his character, at this point being like, you know, well, either... Stella and the kid are going to burn to death or they're going to get eaten. You know, it's like there's no win-win. It's a lose-lose. So he takes the, the uh, I think, a very well-done scene by Josh Hartnett. He doesn't have any big realization. You know, it's not the Adventure Time thing of um, Finn going, Oh, my God, how are we going to stop the zombies? Oh, this little candy corn mouse, what's your name? Hmm, flashback to three minutes ago, you know? He yeah, never yeah. has that realization. Josh Hartnett is like, this is what needs to be done. I'm going to do it, you know? I like that. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm not even saying it did or did not click with me. I just don't know how I feel about it. Like this is another. Um, I'm sorry to bother you type thing. Where I'm like, this movie should click with me, but what isn't clicking with me here? What do you think yeah, about yeah. the whole like vampiring himself and then the final fisticuff showdown? Well, so I I really like the um, <clears throat> the decisive action that he takes. Yes. As the I mean, because we already talked about he he's the character that has to hold it all together. He's he is the one that that has to take charge because nobody else will in a way that is going to be conducive to them surviving. So I love the fact that he takes this decisive action and he doesn't he doesn't dilly dally about it. He doesn't ask opinions. He's just like, this is what's happening. And you guys have to deal with, you know, what comes after this. And I also like that this happens at the time where it's like, okay, this is like the last moment where if I sacrifice myself now, they will still probably survive because we are at the point of sunrise. Yes. Like we, we know the sun's coming. We know that these things are trying to get out of here and I'm not abandoning them. I'm really sacrificing myself in a, in a selfless way to, to save Stella and the child. And I am 100% in agreement with you. 
in the fact that this is Josh Hartnett's character. This is written in character. He's not doing anything, I think, that strays away from what we know about Eben as a sheriff and as a family man. This is right. this is his kind of big final moment. And for him to realize to do that so quickly and to just do it is is perfect. I, I like the way that's actualized. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, we, we get like he, he takes Crixus's blood, he gives himself the injection. We we get him being like, I can smell your blood. I I, I kind of get what they were going for there. Like they were going for like this, like, oh, shit, like is Josh Hartnett going to be a danger now? Mm-hmm. It, it, like this is kind of a creepy thing that he's experiencing. And his brother's like standing up for him being like, no, like we're, we're not going to kill him the way that we had to kill uh, Carter, I think was his name, the the metal Oh Shop sure, yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. And so, like, I, 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 I kind of get what they're going for there, but I did. I don't feel like I needed it. Uh, I don't feel like I needed to see Josh Hart. I, I, I don't feel like I needed as much of that scene. Like, I would have been fine if he gotcha. took the needle and went outside and was like, "Lock the fucking door." Oh, I'm about to go ham. That's a good touch. Okay, okay. Um, I think that that would have been maybe a little better and like a little less lingery on on this situation and then i think um him going down to fight the vampires i i did i did like the idea of him going down to to make a distraction i didn't love the idea of him walking straight in there and being like i'm fighting danny houston and none of the other vampires are going to do anything about it yeah that that's something i've always had problems with i hate the whole idea of like the leader showdown and whichever leader mm-hmm. loses the rest of the troops just disperse you know yeah yeah, yeah. um i i know it's a, a, a troy did that the the big epic you know uh Sword and Sandals movie Troy with Brad Pitt I think does that where it's like mm-hmm. there's like 7 billion people in each of these armies but the two leaders will fight and that'll be it you know I yeah, think I think like the the, the Golden guy. Compass movie does that where like the main the main hero kills the main villain at the end and it's like the rest of the army just disappears and I'm yeah. I'm always just like wouldn't there be somebody who's like super power hungry and be like, well, guess what? Now I'm in control, bitch type of thing. Like why would everybody just disperse? <laughs> Absolutely. Um I think that like the TV shows like Last Kingdom and Vikings do it a little better sure, where they actually yeah. have like an agreement between tribes and they'll be like whoever whichever one of you, uh, them wins is going to like absorb the other's army. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, Vikings does it really well in some of the early seasons. Yeah. So like it definitely can be done well, but I think uh, more often than not, it's it's just done as like a an excuse for like lazy writing. Um, it's an excuse. Like it's an excuse for the main hero to fight the main villain. That's how I yeah. took it in this one. That's yes. why it didn't really sit well with me. Because I mean, the movie's building up to it. I mean, I really love all the setup where um, you know th- there's an early scene where I think when they f- the vampires flip the car with Stella and Eben in it, and Eben and Stella get away, and there's a shot where like Danny Houston is watching Eben, and he's like oh, I recognize that this is a strong member of this species type of thing, you know? Right. So the right. movie's setting it up very well. But then when it comes down to this, them just flipping around using vampire powers, and, and Danny Houston, God love him, he's a good actor. He's not an action man, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. He's the boardroom vampire. He's the CEO of the vampires. He shouldn't be, f- like, banging Josh Hartnett's head into a car and doing flips and landing like Neo from The Matrix and shit like that. <laughs> Well, and I and I like I definitely feel like in this tribe, they are not. I mean, they spent they've spent thousands of years making sure humans don't know they exist. Mm-hmm. They are not um, only like only the strong can lead. They're not 
they don't have a society like i just don't buy that they have a society built around the strongest vampire is actually the one in charge like sure. I, I think that they have a society built around the vampire that can make the best decisions with regards to how we keep ourselves fed and at the same time don't out ourselves like i think that there's a level of intelligence that has to be going on there yeah and so i i would fully expect that he is not the best fighter amongst them and that the other vampires would have stepped in Definitely. and been like no you don't fight him you fight me like i'm the bodyguard or whatever yeah, um, yeah. So it, like, it should have been more of the uh the snatch boxer thing with the pikies you know like brad pitt's yeah. brad pitt's not the leader he's the fighter you know <laughs> and so while you know, the setup of the main villain fights the main bad, good guy, whatever. Like, while I get the, the kind of cathartic um, exercise they went for there, I, I would be I would have been much more interested to see Eben actually pose a real threat to them, like running down there with like fucking Molotov cocktails yeah, and being yeah. like, come get me, bitches, or I'm going to burn you the fuck up and like doing like a cat and mouse kind of thing where he's like. You know, every time they stop pursuing, he like turns around and starts fucking reaming them with, you know, that's like I said, where, Altaf cocktails or something. That's where so I like, thought this movie was kind of going is that, you know, since the vampires busted open the pipeline and there's oil everywhere, I thought there was going to be something of like maybe even a callback to Mark Boone Jr.'s truck with the leaking oil where Ev mm -hmm. Eben was going to have some way to be like, I will blow you all up type of thing as his distraction or something like yeah, that, you yeah. know? I, I I think that's what would have been better. Um, and so it's not that they could have done the fight scene better. It's that the fight scene shouldn't have happened. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and if the fight scene does happen, it's only after he uses his last Molotov cocktail or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he actually has to stand his ground to keep them distracted from Stella and the kid. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, and you know, and at this point, like I would like to see Stella and the kid actually making a run for it because they, they don't mm -hmm. do that. They, mm -hmm. they're like, we're so close to sunrise uh, and the, the other vampires just kind of flee, and Stella and the kid are just, like, standing there. There's even and that line when, like, I think, what, Stella runs over to Josh Hartnett, and she's realizing, like, he's turned himself to a vampire. And isn't there some line where Josh Hartnett is like, should I go after them? Or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And, and, I'm, just like, like, no, and I'm just like, stay what? With me. I'm like, what are you talking about, you know? I would be fine with him turning himself into a vampire if everything we said happened, and then he did that as, like, the last resort, you know? To not die immediately or something like that, you know? For that last little bit of juice to hold them off or something. What last little bit of juice? I, I don't know. Do I mean, mean in, in the essence of, like, maybe he has the Molotov cocktails, maybe he's blowing stuff over the pipeline, but somehow he, like, kills all the vampires, but Danny Houston's still alive, and he, like, just needs to hold him off a little bit longer, so he injects himself with the blood or something. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, so Be that he because, didn't go vampire right away. Exactly. Because I do like, and I have to say, I really do like the final, final ending of this movie, that Josh Hartnett turns into ash and the, just cuts to black. I really sure, do sure. like that. That's I like the fact that it's like this is the f the true sacrifice for his family. Mm -hmm. No, I, I'm with you. I think that that is a a, a very solid touch. I, and and I and I do think that like I I don't necessarily need for him to have held off on going vampire. Like I would have been fine with him being like there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this Molotov cocktail cat and mouse game. They're just too fast. Like I have to try to 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 even the playing field before I go down there. Yeah. Like, I would have been totally fine with that. But I, I do think that any, any like, fisticuffs, mono and mono fight that we would have, should have mm -hmm. gotten mm -hmm. would have been only after he had, uh, you know, attempted to distract them and keep them away 
and and really pull their attention somewhere else with uh you know like i said the, the malt cocktail or the oil yeah. or whatever what whatever you know methodology route they ended up going and i think that would have been a, a much better it would have it would have been it would have felt like a better payoff because then it's like we don't have this stupid scene where why are they fighting one at a time or why are they fighting one v one yeah we would have had the scene where where josh hartnett is like in a fucking race for his life like he's he's obviously trying to save stella and the kid but at the same time he has to live long enough to actually save them so you know he he is suddenly in like a high stakes race for his life and that would have been I think a, another interesting action scene to close out on, um, definitely instead of instead of what they did. But like you said, true to the source material, um, gotta respect that. I, but yeah, I think yeah, and and you know what? With with all that being said, with how much the ending, I was I was very much like ah, I'm not sure how this is sitting with me. Like the fight scene while I'm while it's it's you know while I'm watching it, um, I am a very big fan of Josh Hartnett punching Danny Houston through the mouth. <laughs> Oh yeah, I yeah. really do like that shot. I mean, once yeah. again, it's CG. They don't show it too long. They show it just long enough to make it be like, oh wow, this is gore and it's fucking crazy. But um, it made me think of the um the story that you and I have always talked about—the guy who uh, killed the bear by choking it on his arm, type of thing. Remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool that Danny Houston would pounce on Josh Hartnett with mouth and teeth wide open, and Josh Hartnett with his vampire strength would just blast through that thing <laughs> well and and that's something like uh, whenever i first saw it i was like oh man like why is he stronger than this guy but like now that we've talked about it this guy wouldn't necessarily wouldn't necessarily be the strongest vampire no yeah so, yeah he's the ceo absolutely jo- josh hartnett is was the strongest human at least the strongest human left and w- when he became a vampire he would pretty quickly get to the strength level of the the weaker vampires mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so i'm pretty okay with that I'm pretty okay with him actually being able to best Danny yeah, Houston. Yeah, in yeah. The fight. As, as we've I, talked about, I like it a little bit more, but I think the um, I think a little bit more of distraction. What, what do you think about maybe if they did something like instead of Josh Hartnett, you know, in the Utilidor, there's the whole scene with his brother. You know, his brother's like, you're not going to, you don't talk to him or whatever. There's like, emotional moments at the end when he's injecting himself with the vampire blood, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. What about instead of that? Josh Hartnett is like, I have a plan. He goes out there with all the Molotov cocktails or weapons or whatever. And then, like, during that showdown, we realize that he's already injected himself with vampire blood. Like, what do you, what would you think about that? Like, maybe there's like Oh, a, like um, they don't show us yeah, right away. Yeah, maybe yeah. like a reveal that he turned into – what would you think about that? I, th- I think that that would be fine. Or that might even be pretty good um, from the standpoint of being like – Oh shit! Like, like we wouldn't fight. So he throws the Molotov cocktails. They they see him. They run at him. And then like that's when we get a reveal. Is when when we're like, oh shit, they're gonna get him. Mm-hmm. And and this is all gonna be for naught. And then we we see like, oh, he actually turned himself. And and he's actually gonna be able to to get away from them. I think that would like, also lend itself to a great scene where you know, um, of course, because we know the remaining humans in the Utilidor can see the showdown area through the little slats or whatever. I think that yeah. would lend itself great to a scene where. Um, the brother is watching Danny Houston and Josh Hartnett show down. You cut back to the brother watching it. And he's like, has the realization that Josh Hartnett is now gone, that he's done this thing to himself, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would have been interesting. That would have been, they would have been able to give us a lot of that emotion without the emotion holding back the action. Yeah, yeah. The the way that it did. And, and like we both said, this is still a great movie. Like, this does not ruin it by oh, any yeah. means. No, not at all. But. But, you know, we're talking about pushing it from from the, you know, 
seven to nine that it is closer to the ten range. Oh yeah, I gave it. I like, gave it an eight. I gave it four out of five. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it would have been so a four like, and a half if they. I honestly, it would have been a four and a half if it did not have the little girl line in the movie. <laughs> 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 that weighed heavily on me for the rest of the sure, viewing. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, you know, and, and w- without the little girl line, and then with this, with these a- additions at the end, like it could have been a perfect scary movie uh, or a perfect horror movie because sure. it's it's not one that is necessarily scary, although there are very unnerving things in it. Um, I I would have liked that for for the action to start and then for us to get the flashback to his brother and for his brother to put the pieces together and be like fuck, like he, you know, he. Yeah, drank some of Crixus's blood or whatever. Mm, absolutely, uh, yeah, that would be very interesting. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, you were absolutely right in saying that this does not diminish how fucking excellent this movie is. <laughs> super, um, super good movie, and and I think you know it doesn't drop the ball completely. It's like I said, I was I did not know what to think. I wasn't really for or against it. I knew this was something when I watched. it. I was like, oh, I gotta talk to Ben about this. But I do, like I mentioned, I really do like the ending that Josh Hartnett turns into ash and screams and it just cuts to black you know oh i i loved how painful that they made that appear to be yes um, yeah it was not by any means a sudden death the way it is in a lot of vampire things where they just like burst into flames and then are gone mm-hmm. it was it was they really made it like he is getting the worst fucking sunburn that's ever been had <laughs> yes and, and it's you know happening very quickly and i and i did really appreciate that Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Definitely made me feel like, okay, they. It's not that the sun just murders them. It's it's that the radiation from the sun damages their cells faster than it damages human cells. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't like that's a level of I don't know, you know. I I just I like that idea more than just like oh UV actually burns their skin yeah. it's like no and i like the idea that it's the radiation once again killer. greatly set up by the fact that he used the uv right uh, light on the uh the queen vampire earlier you know mm-hmm. that we saw that that afflicted her in a certain way and we get to see it now and, in much closer detail it's great right and it, it did not light her on fire it just burned her is yeah so I, I i really appreciated it yeah absolutely um so the movie Josh Hartnett screams out. He's turned to ash. You know, he screams out. He cuts to black. It's a great ending. I, like I said earlier, when did this movie cold? I did not know anything about it except what I barely remembered it from the first time watching. As, of course, the credits are starting. It says, you know, 30 Days a Night, uh, directed by David Slade. I want to talk a little bit about that. Says some things like, you know, actors in it and stuff like that. Ben, did you notice who was a producer on this movie? I did not pay close attention to the credits. Sam Raimi produced this movie. What? Okay. When I saw that, I was like, okay, okay, that's why it's this fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you had a you had a tried and true horror guy in the era of era of him not doing too much horror. I mean, you know, 2007 was was what uh two years before spider-man 3 or something like that or maybe even two years i don't I, maybe spider-man 3 was 2005 or something like I th- that i thought it was spider-man 2 that he was involved in well he directed all like, of the toby Maguire spider-man oh that's you're right yeah, yeah i was thinking of the doc ock scene that's really oh yes, uh, highlighted yes, that's of course. Uh, who, but he also um, directed a simple plan which is why i'm glad i brought that up earlier but I had no idea that Sam Raimi was involved in this. Um, this, of course, has no directorial touches by Sam Raimi. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about David Slade and what he's done, who is the director of this. But I saw that in the credits, and I was like, 
I was like, wow. I was like, that that's awesome. I'm like, Sam Raimi doing some horror stuff in the era when he was not doing too much horror stuff. And he's still got it, you know? But here's the thing. Now that I mention that, and now that I say that, and I wanted to save this until we got to the end of the movie, which is when I realized this, that he was involved. Doesn't the little girl having that line of dialogue that we don't like scream evil dead hag nonsense, you know? Yeah, Like, dead by dawn, dead by dawn, you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, I'm like, Evil Dead 2, yes, it's great and it's goofy, but that's the tone of that movie. This movie did not need the goofiness. And who knows? I don't know if it was like Sam Raimi stepping in and going like, David Slade, get this little girl to do this because that's what I would do. I could maybe see David Slade being like, this is a Sam Raimi movie. I want to do like an Evil Dead Deadite thing. And the Deadites are always, you know, torturing the people and with their dialogue and stuff like that. But it's not the tone of this movie. But I think what I said earlier holds more strongly is that that just that's a trailer line through and through. You know, that's little girl saying something creepy with blood and fangs on her face. That's that's just for the audience, you know? Yeah. Um, but Sam Fucking... Raimi, I was so shocked to see that Sam Raimi was involved in this, and I was like, holy, I was like, right on. <laughs> yeah, it's solid. Um, I am also surprised, but I'm not dissatisfied. No, not at all, not at all. Um, so uh, were there any other moments or ideas or scenes? Because, of course, I want to get into some background, and Ben, I want to get into some ancillary material that I'm not sure you're aware exists regarding this movie. Uh, there are both prequels and sequels to this movie that I want to talk about. Um, but any other scenes or things from the, uh, the main film, which we should never shortchange because it is amazing, that you wanted to highlight? Uh, I think we really touched on everything that I, that I wanted to hit. You know, that, that first chaos scene when the vampires are, like, taking over Barrow or Barrow, like, I think everybody should see that. I think that's an amazing scene. You're talking about the um, one with the uh, with the overhead tracking shot that, like, goes through yes. the town? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That is amazing. I guess we should. This might be a good segue into uh, one of the things I want to talk about is the direction of this movie, David Slade. Um, when this movie started, uh, of course, the first shot is the, um, I think, what, the uh, there's the little bit of title card that says, like, 30 days a night or whatever. Um, yeah. There's some other stuff that says like the town of Barrow, Alaska, the northernmost town in the U.S., blah, blah, blah. Then it starts with a very cold Ben Foster, and then it cuts to an unbelievable landscape shot of the dilapidated like tanker in the background in the broken ice and Ben Foster standing in the foreground next to the rowboat. Yeah. And I am like, this is beautiful. I I am probably going to, maybe tonight if I remember, or when I do editing for this episode, I'm going to freeze frame that in the copy I have of this movie and make it a background on one of my computers. It is so amazingly beautifully shot. It is so... And the thing is, it's all flat. It's not wide-angle lens. Like, the, the edges don't flare out or anything. They got the camera with the most, like, accurate lens, with the biggest depth of field, everything is in focus, and it looks so fucking good. (laughs) And that's the thing. When I sat down to watch this, I'm like, we're 30 seconds into this movie, and this is beautiful. (laughs) And I'm like, like, where's the nine-inch nails? Where's the 17,000 gunshots of hellhounds? Where's the narration of Mila Jovovich going, and that's when we released the T-virus, you know? I'm like, this is not the movie I was expecting. (laughs) Right, and, you know, like I said, that was one of my favorite things about this movie, and even watching it, and like I said, having had such an extensive past with it, and sitting down watching it and being like, this movie feels 
like a real movie. Yes, yes. And that's that's a wonderful thing. In terms of the directing, also, of course, we've mentioned it now many times, the overhead shot, the overhead tracking shot of the main street of Barrow, which shows shit hitting the fan, is so beautiful. You could watch that three times in a row and pick up on something different every time because so much is going on. And nothing... Nothing is drawing your perspective. It is literally just an amalgamation of chaos, you know? It, it's beautiful. Um, I think there's a lot of great establishing shots when, you know, we get the day counter on screen because what we get the uh, the first night, we get day nine or day seven, day 18, day 30 or something like that, you know? Yeah. Those establishing yeah. shots are beautiful. There's a bunch of times when there's establishing shots of like snowstorms that are really pulled back wide shots of just these houses that are just built to withstand these temperatures like with boards on their windows because they set up the fact that all these people leaving for the 30 days like board up their houses and stuff like that Mm -hmm. this movie is so beautifully directed and i was mentioning earlier i love the color palette of this movie everything is this muted muted blue and black and it goes into the thing that i've i know i've said to you before ben many many years ago but it's one of the things where i love the phrase have you ever looked at black so long you think it's blue? Um, that's something that has come up to me because I've done a lot of like coloring with black Sharpie. And when you're stoned out of your mind and, or maybe even on acid and you're coloring a lot with black, you start to be like, is this black anymore? You know, Maybe that's not something everybody can relate to. But I love the color palette of this movie. And I love the juxtaposition of the blood and the light, that the little light we get to the color palette of this movie. Um, it's in the last scene. After the big final showdown is over... Um, when the town's on fire and Stella and Josh Hartnett are kind of holding each other before the they go off to see the sunrise type of thing. That's when it got a little weird to me. That's when it got a little, like, too blue. And I'm like, Ugh. I'm like the snow kind of looks like antifreeze or something. And I'm like, oh, maybe, yeah. I'm like, maybe that's just the juxtaposition of the fires to the snow and the maybe the, the rising sun to the snow. But the notice or the, the feeling I got that pointed in my head when I watched that was like, oh, this looks like it was shot as day for night. And for anybody who does not know, day for night is basically the idea is you shoot a scene during the day, and in post-production, you change the color grading of the, of the film, of the footage, to look like it's darker, to make it look like nighttime. Um, mm-hmm. And just like I mentioned, an adage of movie making is uh, 60% sound, 40% visuals. Uh, there's another adage of movie making called never shoot day for night. It never looks good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's one of the things. And I think I might have been tainted because that final showdown didn't sit with me right and I wasn't sure what to think about it. I was starting to be like, ah, this doesn't look too good visually i was like why is this kind of falling apart um i do want to report that from my research apparently this entire movie was shot day for night apparently most of this movie was shot during the day and changed in post color graded to make it look like it was nighttime of course i'm talking about the outdoor shots Uh, most of the indoor shots were like could be in houses where they can do whatever they want with the lighting, you know, blackout windows, whatever, or sound stages where they control the light. Um, but I, I have to give more points to this movie for making 90% of it day for night and me not think it's day for night. Was there any moment, maybe before that final showdown, Ben, where you thought, like, this looks off or this doesn't look like nighttime? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I actually remember even thinking while I was watching it that it didn't have that ridiculous uh overly blue gradient or overly not gradient overly blue um 
what overlay yeah that, that, that's that the thing. is characteristic day, day for day night, night usually comes across as like you're living in dr manhattan's asshole and everything's blue you know <laughs> like yeah yeah and this movie uh, did not have that and i i, I am shocked to see i'm like I was doing my research. I was like, there's no way. And apparently it's from one of the commentaries, which you might have on your DVD, um, that the director was like, yeah, we did most of this during the day. And I was like, I'm like, like, no shot, man. This looks too good for day for night. (laughs) Solid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad they pulled it off because it really didn't distract. Absolutely. Um, No, not at all. Uh, that, That was actually one of the things before I, because I was so convinced this was not day for night, I thought this was all shot at night. My thought was, God damn, what a shooting schedule this must have been if you're only shooting at night, you know? I mean, sure, like some of the indoor scenes you can do during the day, but it's like, that's crazy. Where it's just like, could you imagine like Josh Hartnett, you're just in New Zealand for what? I don't know, three weeks a month shooting this movie or something like that. And just for your sleep schedule has to literally, literally be flipped around because from sunrise to sunset, you cannot film. That's crazy. But apparently that's not what they did. This movie looks, this movie was not only better than it should have been. It looks better than it should (laughs) have. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that brings me to, I, I think this movie was wonderfully directed. Another shot I want to highlight is uh, Ben Foster in the jail cell right before he has the line of the thank you for the plastique. I can use it to pick the lock when he's Mm. like he's like um, what trolling or like, you know, uh, hounding on the teenage kid, you know, when they're in when he's in the jail cell. Great head on shot of the bars like full frame. He's in the jail cell and he's like just in frame of one of the squares of the bars. Just wonderful, you know. Um, mm-hmm. that opening shot, I, I might break form and not make the, uh, episode logo for this, the, um, the Cinemodities VHS with the poster of the movie. I might just put like the wide shot of the, uh, of the broken ice ship and stuff like that. Cause that was, so oh, good. Sure. um, but this movie was immaculately directed. So I was like, oh my God, I love this. I love the look of this movie. I love the atmosphere of this movie. Let's see who directed this. It's a guy named David Slade. Uh, he has also made some well two of these are movies one of them's a, a kind of air quotes thing i want to talk about um before this he made hard candy uh with juno i don't know what to call them these days elliot page we have the power of editing why am i why am i hedging bets i can edit whatever the fuck i want out you know elliot page right is what her name is these days uh, her, his name their name what the fuck <laughs> yeah that that is what they <laughs> so hard candy is a movie i've heard of but never seen i know that's like a psychological thriller i think that has something to do with like uh high schoolers killing their teacher or something like that i'm pretty sure um but that's basically uh, david slade's move that's david slade's movie before this david slade then goes on to make twilight eclipse which i don't know is the 17th twilight movie i don't i don't know how many of those there are you know Um, sounds right uh, but I kind of liked the idea that David Slade went from probably one of the best depictions of vampires to the most mundane mainstream depiction of vampires in the <laughs> Twilight movies. <laughs> uh, sparkly vampires. They, yes, yes. And then David, David, Slade, uh, David Slade also directed, and I'm putting this in air quotes because I, I think this is a weird thing that we don't really know how to handle as a as a culture in movie making, um, Black Mirror Bandersnatch. That was the interactive Black Mirror episode on Netflix. Did you ever do that? I guess is the way to 
Like, did you play through Bandersnatch? Do you even know no. what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have any idea. Oh, okay. So, so Black Mirror once after got bought by Netflix, they released uh, in their little like run of they did like a quick like six month run of interactive movies, where basically like video would play. Like you'd select this thing on Netflix, and video would play, and at a certain point it would pause, and it lets the viewer make a choice. Oh, okay. So it's like build your own adventure novel. Yeah, yeah, but... yeah. Exactly. It's it's a, it's a choose your own adventure, but on Netflix. Um, okay. He did Bandersnatch, which is the only black. It, I think it was the first of Netflix, um, like choose your own adventure type things, and it was a Black Mirror related thing. Um, Justin and I sat down and went through it. I think we went through it twice because we were unhappy with the ending we got the first time. Mm. It's really fucking stupid. Um, okay. It is it is real bad from what I remember. Um, they did a few others. Like there's like a quiz game on Netflix Kids that I've done a few times. That's kind of fun because it's basically just like you're playing a quiz game, you know, on Netflix. Um, I did do Barbie's Epic Road Trip, the interactive adventure. I sat through that and I chose my things and I made sure to keep Barbie away from Ken because Ken is a fucking abuser. Um, it was not good, but I'm very proud of my letterbox review for Barbie's Epic Adventure. It was, quote, man, Black Mirror really fell off. Um, <laughs> so, so that's David Slade. I thought he had done more famous things. Uh, apparently he has something coming up that's, I think, called Dark Harvest. It's another horror-type thing. If it's, if it's devoid of the Black Mirror property, if it's devoid of any other property, if it's him just doing horror, I would love to check it out because he directed this fantastically. Um He's also done a lot of music videos. He was actually uh, a music video director for a lot of the early days of Muse, like uh, the the newborn and bliss era of Muse and stuff like that, which I really like. That's the Muse that I follow. Um, but then he also directed the Metalhead episode of Black Mirror, which is, I think, the best modern uh, episode of Black Mirror. Because, of course, Ben, is, as you might remember, uh, Black Mirror was a BBC show for its first two seasons and for the Christmas special with John Hamm. But then Netflix bought it and Netflix ran it into the fucking ground. I hated the fucking Netflix seasons of Black Mirror, except for Metalhead. Metalhead is black and white. It's totally silent for the most part. It's the episode where a woman is being chased by one of those um, Boston tech mechanical dog things. Like, you know those weird mechanical dogs? I think it's Boston Tech or MA Tech makes those, like, AI dogs. You know what I'm talking about? Um, no. Like, they, they, they look like dogs, like the four legs. Like, it's videos of, like, people pushing them over with brooms to see if they can get back up and stuff like that. It's, like, early robot tech. I, I feel like if you saw a GIF or something, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about. That's a pretty good episode. Um, he directed okay. that. But I was really upset to see that David Slade had not done a lot of stuff post this. I mean, post uh, this, he should have been directing. He shouldn't go to Twilight. He should go to some shit that, you know... But maybe that's the thing. Maybe everybody was like, well, why the fuck didn't your movie have seven, like, Nine Inch Nails and Suicidal Tendencies songs in it, you know? Are you, so are you trying to tell me that the guy who played Joe Dirt directed one of the Twilight movies? <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> They are one letter apart. Absolutely. <laughs> everybody, everybody who's uh, trying to figure out what we're covering this month for this series, because astute listeners will realize we haven't mentioned that at all. Maybe we're doing the David S's. We got David Slade. Maybe next is David Spade. 
Um, I would actually really like to talk about Joe Dirt. From what I remember, that movie is a trip and a half, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I kind of was upset that a movie this well-directed didn't have anything else I could immediately latch on to and be like, oh, I want to watch that next, you know? Maybe I'll yeah, check definitely. out Hard Candy, but, you know, who knows? Um, this movie came out on October 19th, 2007, cost $30 million, like I mentioned before, made $75 million. So with marketing, it probably didn't make its money back, um, and that's... Yeah, I mean, it hit two and a half of... Of, uh, two and a half pr- of production, absolutely. Yeah, um, two and a half I don't know how much they marketed this movie, and that's something I want to talk about in a little okay. bit because there is there's some marketing that I did look into this movie. Um, I did not want to mention this too early on. I'm glad I saved it for the end because uh, this was this was not the point of this movie. I think this movie is way better than what I'm about to talk about. Uh, ben, it's been a little bit, but remember back when we talked Ghost in the Shell 2017 with Scarlett Johansson. Or 2012 with Scarlet, whatever the fuck year that was. Um, we had to talk about whitewashing. Ben, I am very sorry to report this movie had some whitewashing controversy. Oh. <laughs> Josh Hartnett's character, Eben, in the comics is Inuk, which is the, uh, the native. The, the native nationality, maybe, I should say, I don't know the right words. Um, of the area of Alaska that they are in. So uh, okay. they, they turned Josh Hartnett's Eben character into a white person. And that got some controversy. But guess what? It, uh, nobody really cared about that because nobody cared about the original comic books as they cared about, you know, Ghost in the Shell 97 versus Ghost in the Shell American version, you know? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I can't help but feel these days that somebody would have like somebody would have been mad about it being Josh Hartnett instead of a Native American and somebody else would have been like, you're appropriating Native American culture by writing him into this comic. And so I... <laughs> That's a good point. I just, I don't think you can win. <laughs> That's a good these point. Days. Um, um, I have to mention, uh, I very rarely get to mention this because so few movies have this distinction. Not only did this movie get a home video release on DVD and all that stuff, this movie got a release on UMD. Universal Media Disc, which is the format that exists solely for the PlayStation Portable. <laughs> oh. So um, I actually own a PlayStation Portable. I still play it to this day. I own Final Fantasy 1 through 6 on it. Um, that's the only place you can play Final Fantasy 1 through 6 these days if you don't want to play it on your fucking phone, which is stupid. Um, I own Final Fantasy The Spirits Within on UMD. I would love to find an eBay copy of this on UMD to have it for my PSP. (laughs) Like I said, I very rarely get to mention that. Um, So, the other things I want to talk about, Ben, I would like to ask you. I've already asked you if you read the comics, and you said no, neither have I. And I didn't seek out the comics, which I would imagine, in the ways that comics are available digitally, with like, I think Marvel Universe or something like that, is a a comic service you can get. Rob, what? Eight dollars. You can get one for eight dollars. I can get the UMD for eight dollars? Yeah, that's well, I, and four dollars shipping. That's a, like, oh, that's twelve. Twelve is still a steal. Oh my god! Go. <laughs> I might, yeah, check it I out. might get that. Pull the covers over my head one night, just like I, when I was fifteen years old with my PSP, and watch yeah, this yeah. for two hours. Absolutely. <laughs> so Ben, I have to ask you: Have you seen Thirty Days of Night Blood Trails? No, and that's not the other movie that I am familiar with. Have you seen 30 Days of Night, Dust to Dust? 
Oh my god, there's more than just Dark Days. No, I haven't. And have you seen 30 Days of Night Dark Days? <laughs> uh, no, I I, uh, I haven't seen that one. I al- I did almost rent it, though, because... Uh, but then I, I like looked at it, and I was like, oh my god, this looks really bad, actually. Okay, just... I'm glad you looked at this. No, there are four pieces of filmed media relating to the 30 Days of Night franchise. Uh, the movie we've just discussed. I'm glad you bring up Dark Days, the sequel. A straight-to-DVD sequel, uh, which... I am in the same boat as you. I almost rented, but after watching the other two, which are available on YouTube for free, thankfully, um, I okay. was like, I cannot sit through an hour and a half of this stuff, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, oh, it's okay. Bad, huh? So, uh, 30 Days of Night, Blood Trails, and Dust to Dust, uh, they're both FearNet originals. Ben, are you familiar or aware of what FearNet was? It sounds like it was trying to be shuttered. Exactly, uh, but in the form of a cable channel. <laughs> uh, Fearnet, oh. Fearnet in the mid two thousands, very close actually to two thousand six, two thousand seven, when this movie was being made and released. Uh, Fearnet and Fearnet dot com, the internet equivalent. They tried to be the thing of like we're going to be the horror channel, you know, like Comedy Central is the comedy channel, IFC is the independent channel, like we're going to be the the horror channel type of thing. So Shudder's a really good, you know, analog to um to today. Okay. Um these are both Blood Trails and Dust to Dust are both Fearnet originals, which like I said, you can find on YouTube. Blood Trails is about 23 minutes long, Dust to Dust is about 30 minutes long. Um I want to start with oh, okay. I want to start with Blood Trails because Blood Trails is a prequel to the movie. And actually something I found at my research, came out in little segments. Like, they'd play a little, like, maybe five to seven minute shorts in the weeks leading up to the release of 30 Days of Night. So this was part of the marketing for the original movie. Um, it covers a subplot from the original comics that was not touched on in the film. Um, it, it basically follows these people in New, New Orleans that are tracking the vampire's actions, like they're vampire researchers, like they're a... Uh, like a, a Van Helsing slash Constantine-esque group of people, you know? Um, okay. They hire this guy, the main character, who is helping them, like basically a courier for them. Like he's like their go-through-the-alleyways. It takes place in New Orleans. Um, he's like go-through-the-alleyways of New Orleans uncovered to like deliver files back and forth between these people so the vampires can't catch on to them. Um, the, okay. main, the main guy, he's doing this, the main guy, uh, because he's trying to make money to get him and his girlfriend out of New Orleans because his girlfriend is a... An addict of some sort. It's probably heroin. They don't say explicitly, but she's like junked out. You know that type of thing. Um, okay. In in this twenty two minutes, too. in this twenty three minutes, the vampires like catch on to their actions. They start killing the researchers. The there's like this whole thing with like the uh, the the trauma of the vampire death like causes the girlfriend to be like, I'm gonna kick this. We gotta get out of town. Like I, I want to live. I don't want to kill myself. That type of thing. But then the girlfriend okay. then the girlfriend gets killed. You know. <laughs> Um, nice. And uh, the the uh, since this was a prequel, it takes place two days prior to the events of the movie. The end of the miniseries of Blood Trails is the main guy having the deciphered message. Like, he has the work of the researchers, and he deciphers a message, states that, like, the feeding in Barrow, Alaska is going to happen. But he can't get it out to anybody because the cops arrest him because he's, like, covered in blood, and he gets, like, put in jail for all the murders that the vampires did, you know? Nice. It's not great. I mean, the production quality is horrendous. 
Um, oh. I, I was actually telling Ben. I was Ben and I were talking about Twenty Eight Days Later before we recorded this episode, and I told him that that movie is shot on a fax machine. This was kind of also <clears throat> shot on a fax machine, but this might be because it's just a compressed version on YouTube type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know if you can find them on FearNet.com. I don't even know if FearNet.com exists anymore. It's not good. It's pretty cool. I'm pretty neat, I should say, as like a tie-in to the lore of 30 Days a Night. But it, you can tell it solely exists as marketing for the movie, you know? Like, I would, I would imagine since they aired this 23-minute thing over the course of a few weeks leading up to the release of the movie, that it would be like, you know, oh, here's five to six minutes of vampire content, and then here's a sneak peek look at a scene from 30 Days a Night that you haven't seen before, you know? And and something like that. Like it's it's purely for marketing purposes. Um, uh, that's interesting. It looks like it has a 2008 release date. Blood, uh, unless blood that trail, was dust to dust. Blood trails are dust to dust. That's about. I was about I'm, to ask. I'm, I'm not actually. <laughs> okay. like, I did. I did look at both of them. Okay. Me, from from what I, from what I found on my research, the last episode of Blood Trails released the day before uh, the movie came out. So it was like okay. directly tied in. Um, Interesting. I didn't hear anything about these. Neither did I. I don't. I never knew what FearNet was before I did my research. <laughs> um, but if anybody wants to, you know, check it out. I, I'm glad I was able to report here for Ben and for our, our cinema audience. But if anybody does want to see more Thirty Days a Night lore, it is on YouTube. Just Google our YouTube search Thirty Days a Night Blood Trails. Uh, Thirty Days of Night Dust to Dust is also a FearNet original, like I mentioned. This is a sequel to the movie. I think this was the 2008 one, came out a year after the movie. Um, It's set three weeks after the events of the movie. Um, It starts with the guy from Blood Trails, the main character, being in jail for the killings from the first movie, so where the first one ended off. And as he's being transferred from uh, from wherever he is in New Orleans to Max Security Prison, a vampire attacks and, like causes one of the nurses to get bit. So there's, like, another nurse, a new nurse character that's, like, trying to sedate the guy because he's like, don't let me out of here! The vampires are going to attack me! And the guards... One of the guards is played by Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother. So if if you know a lot about Sam Raimi's movie, uh, Sam Raimi loves to make Ted Raimi, like, a, a bloody mess in his movies and stuff like that. Um, okay. The vampire attacks, uh, bites this nurse. The main guy gets away. The actual miniseries is fairly interesting, because most of it is about this nurse, turn, a female nurse, turning into a vampire and fighting it every step of the way. Like, it's an actual detailed story, well, as detailed as you can get in 30 minutes, of, like, her not wanting to be a vampire and fighting the thirst for blood. Like, Interesting. there's a really cool scene where, like, she's she's, like, bleeding and she's turning into a vampire, but she's still alive, and she, like... She calls her brother. Her brother's like a cop character, and she it's involved, you know. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the details because anybody can watch this, and also, it's also, once again, not that good. But there's a, this really interesting scene where she, like, is on a payphone, and then she, like, passes out, and when she wakes back up, she's like, re- she's like, I'm so thirsty. And, like, another, like, hooker or sex worker in New Orleans, like, walks up to her, and she's like, oh, honey, who did this to you? Like, the, the other lady thinks that, like, a John beat her to death or something or near death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so she's like, oh, she's like, I'm going to take you in, you know, and that type of thing. And she, like, takes the, the nurse, the, the fe- main female character, back to her apartment or whatever. And this is where it gets, like, into contrived, really bad writing because the main, like, the hooker that picked her up 
like sets her on a couch and she's like, honey, we're going to get you some help. But first, I got to take a shower. And so the, the, hook, <laughs> like, the hooker goes into the shower. It's solely for the purpose that you can leave the main female nurse in alone in a room with a chihuahua. She fucking devours a chihuahua, which is my letterbox review. Quote, chowing down on chihuahua. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, the hooker comes out of the shower and she's like, why is there blood everywhere? And gets eaten by the, you know, the main girl. And uh, But the, the, it is interesting that the main girl eventually meets back up with the main characters and she's like, I don't know what to do. And the brother's like, I gotta help you. And the guy from the blood trails is like, we have to fucking blow her brains out, you know? Um, but then there's this like little bit of subplot in Dust to Dust, since this is a sequel three weeks after the events of the movie, that the guy... F- um, from Blood Trails, who's now like entrenched in the zomb- and the vampire research, he has a code to access satellite footage of the events of the movie to prove to the world that vampires exist. And vampires are after him to stop him from releasing the the film footage of the or the satellite footage of the events of the movie. That goes okay. nowhere. The the okay. this the miniseries ends without ever without that ever being a thing. (laughs) That's, uh, man, that sounds pretty bad. It's, they're not good. And like I said, Ben, they're filmed on fax machines. (laughs) But then, I'm glad to hear Ben and I, neither of us shelled out the ungodly, this should have been fucking free on some, I would have watched this with ads on Freevee or something. I could only find to rent it for like $4, 30 Days a Night, Dark Days, the straight-to-DVD sequel. Fuck you that this costs money, okay? (laughs) Like, oh my god, this should be on YouTube for free Um, with ads. Like, I'm I'm fine with watching ads. Ben, you said you were aware of this. Did you look into it all what 30 Days of Night, Dark Days is about? Uh, Stella moves to Louisiana to become a vampire hunter, I think. Yes, okay, so Stella goes back to the States. It's a year after the events of the movie. This is a 2010 film, also. The main plot involves Stella fighting the vampire queen, but the more important thing that I wanted to harp on, because I read the synopsis for this, I even... I even spent the time to watch some YouTube reviews of this movie, and everybody says it's horrible. There are actually a bunch of letterbox reviews that say that Blood Trails and Dust to Dust, the like low budget fear net productions, are better than this. Oh. Yes. That's why I ended up not renting this because I was okay. like, I, I cannot sit through 90 minutes of this if it's that fucking bad, you know? The big thing that they they do in this movie is, of course, there's a plot like Stella goes vampire hunter. She's fighting vampires. Harold Perrineau's in it. And I'm like, Harold Perrineau, you're so much better than this. Um, but he he's also kind of, he'll do anything for a paycheck, even though he's been in some of the best movies and TV shows ever. Um, the Stella beats the vampire queen. That's kind of like the A plot of the movie. But throughout the process of the movie, it turns out that dead vampires can be resurrected if they are fed pure human blood I'm not kidding you Ben the end of this movie apparently Dark Days is Stella returning to Barrow digging up Eben's body and giving it her blood to which he comes back to life but is still a vampire and kills her and the movie ends (laughs) That's, that's fucking stupid isn't it that's terrible. That is so fucking 
dumb because Ugh. I don't even know. Like I said, neither Ben and I have seen it. I, I, the only way I will watch this is if it becomes free somewhere. I refuse to pay for this movie, rental or not, you know. But yeah, I from what I heard, I was like reading like letterbox reviews, scathing. Like, fucking, this movie shot for 23 minutes on a fax machine was better than this. Like, YouTube reviews, people are like, I fucking hate this, why'd I sit through this? I could not find one positive thing about this. And then I read the synopsis, and I read the the spoilers, and I'm like, he's still a vampire? Like, Stella dies after all this? And here's the thing, from what I've read and heard about this movie, Stella has another love interest throughout the movie. So she somehow still wants to get back with Eben, but she's off fucking some other dude or whatever. Who knows if he's a vampire? I'm probably that fucking stupid. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the lichens come into play somewhere in here, you know? And they were shooting they were shooting for a crossover. <laughs> I'm glad you did not rent it, Ben. I'm glad neither of us rented it. We did not need to do that. <laughs> To, our, to ourselves. Well, I mean, I, I just read the plot synopsis, and I was like, that sounds pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, considering one of the things I loved about the original is that it doesn't play like a stupid vampire hunter movie. Um, and this the fact one... that the sequel is exactly a stupid vampire hunter yeah. movie, I uh, was not interested. Yeah, I believe Dark Days is directed by the guy who did <sighs> Dust to Dust, so there is some connection, um, but... I couldn't really get a handle. I, I didn't write his name down. It might be Ben Katai, if I'm remembering what I was looking at uh, yesterday. Um, but ah, Dust to Dust was shot in such poor quality and, you know, played as a Fearnet original, whatever the fuck that means, that I don't think you can tell what his direction is like. I mean, there's some good gore, but that's, like, not what I'm looking for because the original movie had good gore, you know? Mm-hmm. If you're going to step up this movie, step it up in a in a good way. Don't make it, like a monster of the week type of thing. Like, oh, we got to fight the vampire queen, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that feels bad. I, I just, I can't, I can't fathom. Like, I, I would have been so much more interested in, in a sequel that followed the vampires attacking a different town in Alaska. Absolutely. I would be all about that. I would be all about even, you know. Give me, um, uh, give me missing to searching. Like, let me. Yeah, give me, um, they, like they say in the movie, uh, all those other loose vampires without their leader, they go to Wainwright. They talk about the, in the movie, they talk about like the yeah, nearest yeah. town is Wainwright, like 80 miles away or something. Give me right. the sequel that's like, you know, what, three weeks later or something. And vampires start attacking Wainwright and then throw down with the idea that the vampires are now, like, they don't have any leadership. They don't have any order. They're all just acting as, like, free agents type of thing, you know? Mm, Maybe then you play on the notion that I mentioned from the original comic book series that there's a different vampire that comes in. It's like, you fucked this up. Like, you you have let humans know you exist. We need to instantiate some new rule or something like that. Well, new, yeah, new order to the vampire crew, but also we have to eliminate every human in this area because this information can't get out, like that kind of shit. And it's not about, like, you know, drinking blood anymore. It's about like self-preservation maybe do the fucking terminator 2 thing i mean everybody as much as i dislike terminator 2 and love the first terminator it's a genius switch that arnold's the bad guy in the first one and arnold's the good guy in the second one do that for this the vampires are the baddies in the first movie in the second movie when they go to wainwright we're now following the vampires and maybe they're not the good guys but we're more emotionally invested in them make that switch you know yeah fuck it writes itself it writes it fucking self, man. <laughs> For sure. It it sounds 
it's it sounds like we we could have really made this is this needs to go to our studio like we make a sequel to 30 days of night that's actually good yes <laughs> 30 days of night colon the good one <laughs> <laughs> no 30 days of night two two colon, the, the good, good one yes yeah, absolutely absolutely 30 days of night is the good one is the good one oh my god it's great and i think that brings us to um any final thoughts i mean uh, the only thing i want to say i i mean we've discussed it in full length it's it's been a great conversation i'm so glad i got to revisit this movie i would highly recommend this to anybody i mean this is not a movie that you know i don't think we spoiled anything maybe if you didn't know josh hartnett vampires himself at the end that might be a spoiler but i don't think this movie is ruined by spoilers or anything like that this movie is the true essence of an atmospheric experience this is something that, you know, you should watch and you should experience and you should have thoughts about. And I would totally recommend it. Um, what, any final thoughts, Ben? Before, uh, no, we, before I, I, we get to our questions, of course. Uh, no, no final thoughts. I'm ready to go into questions. Well, let's just go to late night because I think that's that's the one I've been talking about. This is a, a hell yes. I was – I am so surprised. I would not have expected – me at the end of this conversation at the end of watching this movie to be like wow i would a hundred percent sit somebody down and show this movie to them but it is it is a movie where i'm like if somebody wants to you know of course they are saying something like horror movie you know be like you like vampires you like the undead you like this type of thing this is such a unique film in the era that it came out in of course as we talked about at the start of this that i'd be like this is something you gotta see if you're a fan of, like, you know, all these, like I said, faux heavy metal rock shoot 'em ups and stuff like that, you gotta experience this one. This one is of a different caliber. And maybe not only to show the people who like those movies to give them a taste of something else, if I ever am with somebody who's like, I really like psychological movies, you know, maybe somebody who likes Barbarian, or maybe somebody who likes, you know, um, Elephant Man, which is kind of, you know, or. Night of the Living Dead is a better example of like a, a more philosophical horror movie, The Mist and stuff like that. I'd be like, you ever seen 30 Days a Night? I would bet money on the fact that most people, I'd be like, you ever see 30 Days a Night? And they'd be like, no, because this movie seems totally forgotten. So I got to go hell yes to Late Night. What do you think for Late Night? Um, I mean, you, you kind of summed everything up really well. I'm in the same boat. Like, this movie's a fucking banger. Like, it slaps. It, it it you know it smacks it it is all of the slang it's a good fucking movie it honks yeah no it doesn't honk i think it, honks is bad honks is bad oh okay i, don't know I think so i just know that the goose game honks you can, isn't there a dedicated honk button in the goose game mm-hmm. yes there is <laughs> i'm um, with you no i'm with you every every word for every positive word i would have to go with this movie for sure <laughs> so yeah i'm definitely definitely all in on late night Absolutely. Oh, my God. I, I mean, this this is one of the times. Um, it, it does not happen often. And it I can only remember it when it happens in the moment. This is one of the movies that I watch for us recording it. And then we discuss it. And after our, like, two and a half hour discussion, I'm like, I might fucking watch this again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I want to now pick up on all the things I might have missed. Because there's got to be more. I, I'm... It's so good. It's so fucking good. Um, in terms of late night, I know we probably watched it at, what, four in the afternoon? <laughs> the time we watched it, you know, <laughs> something like that. I'm sure that the sun was blaring in through the blinds behind the couch in your uh, in your apartment and something like that, and we didn't get the full atmospheric, atmospheric expect, uh, 
effect. Um, but I, I am just like, man, this, this is an experience. Um, on that, before we get to Cinemodities, in terms of late night and us watching it, I got to say, thank you, Ben. I never would have picked this for this mystery series that we're doing that nobody should be able to pick up on because we, we've laid plenty of, of breadcrumbs, you know. Um, tune in next week for our Near Dark episode as we continue our vampire series. Um, <laughs> but, but thank you, Ben. I literally, I do not think... If you did not show this movie to me 10 years ago, 9 years ago, whatever it was, this this is not just the case of I never would have watched it. I never would have heard of this movie. No one is talking about this movie. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like I said, you know, with the experience I had I, I had with it, like this is a movie I go back and revisit on, on occasion, you know, like obviously with you 9 years ago and now here. Um, and now that it's like back on my radar fully again, I'm probably going to revisit this movie every couple of years. Like this is a pretty dope movie. Absolutely. I mean, this is in the pantheon of, I I can't believe I didn't mention, I mean, I mentioned the mist a bunch of times, but with this being as cold as it is, you know, set in a, um, an Alaskan town with the whole blizzard aspect and the night aspect, um, I would throw this up there with like, this would be a great double feature with like John Carpenter's The Thing. Which yeah. is a very much psychological horror. I mean, well, the thing is a perfect movie as far as I'm concerned. I would put that in my top ten of all time. You know, maybe top fifteen um, because I have to make room for things like Southland Tales and Under the Silver Lake in my top ten. You know, um, but this is this is just up, I just as up there. I mean, it, it's I, I would say. My feeling on this movie is what you felt for the ice harvest on our Patreon, where you were like, you were like, where the fuck has this movie been my whole life? And I'm kind of feeling that the same way right now. I'm like, why haven't I, why haven't we been referencing this movie for the last two years, you know? <laughs> well, I'm glad we finally got to talk about it here, because this is, I mean, as you know, like, I, like I've mentioned here, and as I'm sure I told you when we saw it in Athens, like, this movie had an impact on me when I was younger, and I, I'm, I'm glad that it held up. Yes, I and I gotta do some digging into what else came out in two thousand seven because I, if I had to pick a top five like best supporting actor nominations, Danny Houston would probably be in there, and and that's 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 a Rob take right there, you know. <laughs> um, it's, uh, but it's wild. So here's here's the thing, I gotta say, I kind of set it up this whole episode. As much as I love this movie, as much as I found it amazingly directed, as much as I found the performances great, the dialogue great, the action great, everything, I think it goes back to what I was saying about it being so basic. It's so simply basic that it's beautiful, but that does not make it an oddity. I gotta go no for Cinemodities. Oh, I think that's a clear choice. Okay, it is, okay. It's not even close to being an oddity. It's a wonderful movie, but... It's it like is, uh, it's as it's as center down the lane as you can get, without being like one hundred percent completely predictable. Yeah, I, I think that other guests we've had on, you know, before, whether it be Lashawn, Phil, Justin, Heather, whoever, you know, they, they sometimes we get the complaint where they're like, I don't really know what a cinemodity is, and I've always been okay with that. We're like, well, cinemodity is whatever you think it should be, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I think a cinemodity is not like you know. This movie being such a good example of what a screenplay should be, it's not odd. Like, an, an oddity is something very different to me. This is a great example of a great movie. <laughs> that is not what I think of as an oddity, you know? Sure. 
I think there have been times where I've been like, this movie stands out as as being so good that that's weird. Sure, and, sure. And, you know, in that way, it's an oddity. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. This, this movie doesn't really fit the the criteria for me. It's it's a phenomenal movie. Well done, well, di- well directed, well, you know, the performances are good. But it's not, it's not weird. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. Like, the, the only way that it's weird is that it's a, it's a little bit odd for its time in horror movies where it was not. Yeah, in placement, as, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, where it wasn't an underworld or a Resident Evil yeah, yeah. That God, like I said, I was expecting when those when those final credits rolled, I was expecting like, you know, like nine inch nails, you know. Every day is exactly the same. Um but yeah, okay. So that brings us to snacks. Um I gotta throw it out there. I think it's one of the low hanging fruit. It's mentioned late in the movie when they get to the Utilidor. We should have the 30 days of dish. That's what I would call it. Chocolate, vitamins, and vodka. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, I didn't freeze frame it or anything. Did you by any chance notice what type of vitamins they were? I'm not even sure if they were visible on screen. We just see like the little bottle. Um, no, I, I, don't, I don't really remember seeing what they were. My best guess would be vitamin D if they're in a dark period for a long time, right? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but chocolate, vitamins... How about this? Chocolate, vitamins, and vodka. It's the 30 days of dish. Chocolate, vitamins, and vodka. Your choice of vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Okay. The other one I had is also low-hanging um, from Ben Foster in this movie. I would love a bowl of raw hamburger meat. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Do you remember... I'm going to assume you're going to say no to this, but I want to know if you remember. Um, Louis C.K. had a show on FX. I think it was just called Louis because his HBO show was called Lucky Louis. Um, Louis was a pretty good show. Uh, David Lynch was in it for a few episodes, which was interesting. Um, Also, uh, uh, Charles Grodin was in it for one scene where he talks about that, like Louis C.K. goes to a doctor and the doctor is Charles Grodin. Uh, Charles Grodin, of course, Ben, the Duke from uh, Midnight Run. We got the Duke. Yes, of course. Um, And Charles Grodin is the doctor and Louis C.K. goes to him and Louis C.K. is like, my back hurts and I just have chronic back pain. And the doc, Charles Grodin, the doctor, he's like, God gave you a clothesline that you use as a spoke or something like that. And he's like, to fix your back pain, you need to walk on all fours or something like that. It's, re- <laughs> it's really weird. And that, that show was amazing. There, there's actually one episode of Louie that I contend is one of the best episodes of television ever, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, there is an episode of Louie where he has to pick up one of his like friends or neighbor's kids from school because the, the mother of the kid can't like make it, so she asks him to pick him up. And so Louis picks him up, and the kid's just like at his house after school. And Louis, of course, has no fucking idea what to do with this kid because that's the premise. Louis C.K. is awkward, you know? And right. the, he's like, do you want something to eat? Like, Do you want an after-school snack? And he, the kid's like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. And Louis's like, well, I got goldfish. I got X, I got Y, I got Z. He like lists off like common snack foods, and the kid goes, "My mom doesn't let me eat carbon. Do you have raw meat?" <laughs> and Louis C.K. feeds this kid a bowl of raw meat. 
And Louis C.K. is like, I don't even know. I'm like, should I be doing this? You know, that type of thing. That has always stood out with me. Um, so when I say a bowl of raw hamburger meat, of course, it is very closely tied to Ben Foster's character in this movie. But I cannot help but think of that episode of Louis, which I am now realizing in editing I'm going to have a hard time finding this clip because that is obscure. <laughs> um. But yeah, I think just, need, uh, just think of that line, Ben. My mom doesn't let me eat carbon. <laughs> Is that not fucking funny? <laughs> that's, that's pretty hilarious. I mean, considering how ubiquitous carbon is. Um, the the episode where Louis does not have his kids for a weekend and smokes weed. That's the episode that I think is fundamentally one of the best episodes of television ever. Um, is that the one with like the different dogs? Yes. What do you mean? It's a different dog. <laughs> I showed that to a lot of people when I first saw it, and most people did not understand it. <laughs> what do you mean a different dog? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I think the episode that I remember the most is the one where Louis uh, gets bullied <laughs> and follows that kid home. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, David Lynch in that show, it, there's an arc of that show in one of the seasons where Louie is up for a late-night host gig, like taking over for, like, Letterman or Fallon or something like that, or Kimmel, you know, and he hires David Lynch as his late-night host coach type of thing. And oh. and clearly, sur- surreality ensues. <laughs> is, is David Lynch playing David Lynch? No, he's not. He's playing, yeah. like, the, the, he's playing like a, a hired coach type of thing, um, okay. which, is, which is good, for sure. Um, I still got to see uh, The Fablemans, the last Steven Spielberg movie, because I know David Lynch plays John Ford at the end of that movie for a scene. And um, as much as I dislike modern Spielberg, I have to see David Lynch in any acting role because he doesn't do acting or directing anymore. He just does his weird French museum exhibits and makes women's fitness wear. Isn't that on <laughs> brand for David Lynch? <laughs> pretty fucking weird. Um, I got one other snack. It's another low-hanging one. I don't have too many. I This is one of those things. I was so engrossed with the movie. But, Ben, what did you have for the restaurant from 30 Days a Night? I think we have to take it a step further with the bowl of raw meat. I think we have to include the whiskey and rum and make it like a raw meat soup. Oh, okay, okay. Is there any, you know, that's, is there any it, property of alcohol that would, like, cure the meat? Is that a thing? I know usually, like, you need sodium to cure things. Would, I, like, I think acid also, like, cooks things, sure, but I don't, I don't know that. Like a brine does. or something like that, um, yeah. I, I think it should be called um, what I want to eat, what I want to drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're saying, like, the menu item should be called what I want to eat, comma, what I want to drink. And people yeah. people might order it thinking they get like a choice of options, and yeah. it is just raw hamburger meat and whiskey. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and that, you know that way it's confusing for the staff too, because somebody like I, I would like to order what I want to eat and what I want to drink, and they'd be like, "Yeah, I bet you fucking do." Perfect. You, know? <laughs> you fucking do. Per- perfect. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> Um, I like that. Okay. I, I don't know how I would feel about alcohol mixed with raw meat, but, I mean, if you get me jonesing hard enough, I would I would probably do something with that. <laughs> um, we – I don't know how we can include it, but, like, Carter's family being dead. Oh, oh, we need, we need like, a – you know, like, a VR experience 
where you can kill your family. <laughs> and, you know, there's like a 30% chance that the gun will fire whenever you try to kill yourself afterward. That took a turn. <laughs> I think people I think people want, want to experience that, you know? But they don't want to do it in real life because it, it's, it's a little bit rough. I don't know if I would want to experience that in VR. I mean, I've seen the ending of The Mist, and I am upset when I remember the ending of The Mist. <laughs> um... You know, maybe maybe you'll just forget how to breathe while you're in the VR. Maybe. The... <laughs> how do I work my hands? <laughs> maybe there's something to we should like make a a, a joint task force with the um, local police department. You know, it, it, it would be NYPD, Manhattan PD uh, for the flagship, of course, the main Cinematis restaurant. But I think we have franchises and franchisees and stuff like that. Maybe the restaurant pairs with its local police force and if anybody signs up to do the VR experience of killing their family they leave the uh experience the VR you know hub or whatever and they go right into an interrogation like a minority report style thing of like <laughs> you can't you kind of you didn't do anything wrong but you kind of given off the wrong vibes here you know <laughs> yeah, for sure <laughs> That's dark, Ben, but I can't hate you for that because this movie's dark. <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of dark, we also need a room uh, where you get to experience 30 days of night, and it's just a room with no windows where the lights are off. <laughs> so it's like solitary <laughs> confinement? Well, no, there's other people there. Oh, okay, so there's like a community or something. Oh, oh, that actually works perfectly with all the people trapped in our restaurant. It would just be like, oh, we have this experience of the Barrow, Alaska thing, you know, without the mm -hmm. vampires is what you're saying, is that it's just the what would you do for 30 days of night? Yep. Here's my question for you, Ben. What do you think about this? Uh, of course, we see that the population of Barrow, Alaska in their transition period into their month long of darkness uh, because they're so far north goes from, I think, 600 something to 150, you know? Yeah, 152, I believe. So is. a lot of people choose to leave. Yeah, oh yeah. What would you do? Would you leave or would you stay? Um, Considering I get affected by the SADs over here in Ohio, I would probably leave. Like, Fair. it's bad enough. Fair. It's bad enough that, I, you know, I get the reduced sunlight here. I, I don't think I could go. Why, you, either I would leave or I would have, like, the best UV lamps you could find. <laughs> You'd be the only person to come out after that month with a tan, is what you're saying? Oh yeah, yeah. They, you know, <laughs> other people would be like depressed and shit, and I'd be like, let's fucking go. It's sports time or uh, have, whatever. Have you whatever seen? Do in the uh, have you seen Insomnia, the Christopher Nolan movie with um, uh, Al Pacino? It's like a crime movie that takes place also in a town in Alaska, but it's during the period where it's all sunlight all the time, and he can't sleep because it's all always sunlight. Have you seen that? I've not seen it, but I, I'm familiar with that as a premise. I okay. don't know if it was okay. from that movie or if, or if there's another movie that does that. But I That's a pretty good movie. That's actually one of my more favorite Christopher Nolan movies that a lot of people forget about because they think Christopher Nolan just has to be, you know, blowing up bombs in Oppenheimer these days. Um, which and making stuff move back. Which Josh Hartnett will be in. Not that that matters. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I actually think I would... A hundred percent do that. I would do 30 days of darkness. I 100% think I would. I'm not saying I would come out on the other side alive, but I'm saying <laughs> I would totally try that. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. There is something interesting about being in a place where the sun's not going to rise for that long. Yes. Like, I would love to be able to experience that for, like, two or three days. But 30 days, man, that's a... So speaking of which, I don't know if, if you saw this in your research, um, the, the town of Barrow, Alaska, actually did exist. It was a, it was a real place. Yeah, until, until the fire. Uh, <laughs> until the vampires burned it down. Um, yeah. it, it is one of the most northern towns well, in vampires. Alaska. Um, it, it is not called Barrow anymore. It got renamed to an Inuk name, which I cannot pronounce and will not try to pronounce. Um, okay. Uh, but it still exists, and they actually go through this period of polar darkness, as it's called. But this movie and this franchise, 30 Days of Night, takes uh, the concept of a month of darkness and actually reduces it. From what I read in my research, when this town goes through its polar darkness, its polar night, it lasts for 68 days. Oh, so um, they they made it, you know, 30 days a night sounds a lot better than 68 days a night, right? <laughs> sure. It's I I thought and you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought in these places where there was like very limited sunlight for that part of the year, I I thought that there was still like an hour of sunlight or something. Oh, that like might very... be the case. I didn't I didn't dig that much into it, but that could be the case, yeah. Yeah, I, is, I I think it's just that that the sun is not out for very long uh, at all. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, no, I'm with you. But I have to say, I would very much. Uh, I would be one of the people who's like, I'm going to stay here for this. I'm going to try it. I think I I would. I'm very interested in that. Um, it would be a psychological experiment for me. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm be like, oh yeah, I'd be the sheriff and I'd run the town for seventy days. You know, when it's totally dark out. I'm saying I'd be the Mark June Boone, Mark Boone June character, uh, junior character, who's just like you know stockpiling everything and living out on the fringes for seventy days. You know, <laughs> sure. Um, um, the, no, apparently it is night lasts longer than twenty four hours during this time period. That is so wild. It, yeah. So this is the uh, what is it called? Uh, the center of the sun is below a free horizon <laughs> for. 68 days or something, however long it is. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, um, you know you know what hit me, though, is when Ben Foster goes to the diner and he wants that whiskey, and she's like, alcohol's banned for the 30 days. I think people would catch on to the fact that I would be stockpiling gin for oh, two months sure. prior to the 68 days of night, you know? They'd be like, well, <laughs> we gotta steer clear of that house, which I'd kind of also be fine with. I mean, solitary... It's like it becomes like a sensory deprivation tank at a certain point, right? Uh, I don't think so. Fair, but fair. I guess I just got to go through it, and we'll talk about it on an episode, Ben. Tune in next week <clears throat> or two months from tune now. In, <laughs> tune in next week for, for this uh, after I've experienced this thing that doesn't happen all the time and lasts over. Two tune months. in next week when I've done this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's see for. Uh, I just I found this on, on Wikipedia about polar night. There are things called polar circles. That's basically where this happens. Uh, the maximum lengths of the time that the sun is completely below the horizon varies from zero to a few days beyond the Arctic Circle and Antarctic Circle mm-hmm. to 179 days at the poles. Wow. However, not all this time is classified as polar night, since sunlight may be visible because of refraction. Oh, sure, sure. So it gets a little brighter sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. 
Um, the time when any part of the sun is above the horizon at the poles is 186 days. That's really any, cool. Any, so that, Regardless this is, of how uh, you and I think of how we could exist in those situations, I think that's really fucking cool to learn about the Earth, you know? Sure. Like, I, I really like the idea that all the our, our whole society, like whether or not we speak the same language, like over in Europe, over in Russia, whatever, we all talk about seasons and stuff like that. I like the idea there's a part of the, the, the world where it's like, this is all different. Like, throw all this out the window. That's really cool to me. Yeah, it's, well, it's got to just be, like, because of axis tilt. Right? Yeah, that, so, like, that's what I would on imagine. on one side of the sun. That, yeah. And then there's, like, a certain part that lines up. <clears throat> I could I could totally do extended period of darkness. I could not do the expanded, extended period of daylight, like an insomnia. I mean, oh, I, I, put a, <clears throat> I put a fucking sticky note over the bottom of my TV because there's a little red light when it's off and I fucking hate that I unplug my microwave when I'm not using it because I can't stand the fucking green light from it I need darkness <laughs> I, I'm sure you know that I can sleep in the middle of the day that's true you would no be, you would be fine yeah Al Pacino's whole thing in insomnia being like let me sleep you know and him losing his mind because he can't sleep Ben would be like you know and be like it's 10 a.m. and you're like shut up <laughs> Yeah, no, they'd be like, you should wake up now. And I'd be like, what do you mean? It's not any different right now than it was when I went to sleep. So I'm going to stay asleep. Hey, it's the, uh, if you ever get the chance to check out Insomnia, I would highly recommend it, Ben. It's a great crime movie. Uh, It's Robin Williams is awesome. It's the one Christopher Nolan actually directed Robin Williams in a movie. That's Insomnia. Um, there is a great scene at the beginning of that movie where Al Pacino, like, he lands in the town and he, like, investigates the crime scene and he's like, you know, who did this girl know? And he's like, well, she had a high school boyfriend. He goes, well, go pull him out of class. And they go, we can't. And he goes, why not? He goes, they go, because it's 10 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, a, it's an amazing scene and it sets the stage, you know. I, I think you would, you would be like, now I'm going to bed. And they're like, but Grandpa, it's 9 a.m., you know, to pull on that George Carlin joke of, like, you know, when you're old, you can do whatever the fuck you want. I'm going to bed. But Grandpa, it's 6 p.m., you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, th- that sounds like me in my normal life. I'll be like, I'm going to bed, and my wife's like, it's 8.30. <laughs> and she's like, you're just going to take a nap, and then you're going you're gonna to be cranky at 11 when you can't go stay asleep. And I'm like, fucking, all right, you know, fine, if you have to know me this well. And you're like, bitch, am I not going to be cranky after that monologue you just gave me? <laughs> Let me solve already, this crime. <laughs> I'm already cranky. <clears throat> I've been cranky my whole life. That's good. It's, uh, it's like the Hulk. It's like his secret is I'm always angry. He's I'm like, my secret is I'm always yes. cranky. <laughs> That's good. That's great. I, I did have one last snack. <laughs> um, it's another low-hanging one. I would love a shot glass of vampire blood, like a, a shot of vampire blood. Uh, very much uh, Josh Hartnett in this movie does the um, the, uh, the needle of uh, vampire yeah. blood. I would love just a shot glass of vampire blood um, because, as we know, Ben, if you, you remember... You get the syringe. You really? You want to do the whole... I mean, that's a little... we got to get the FDA involved and stuff if we're doing, like, venipunctures and stuff like that at that point. Like, if we just do let them do it you know, in like orally, I think we don't have to get any of those law enforcement agencies involved. That's probably true, but I mean, we're, 
We're in like a, a void, aren't we? Like We are. That's true. We have a lot of things that, that protect concerned. us from that. That's fair. I mean, it just it just once again harkens back to the fact that I will never stop telling this story. I'm sure I've told it many times to you, Ben, but you've forgotten it because I've said many things to you too fast too many times, you know? Um, that uh, all sounds right. When I was in Thailand, I took a shot of snake's blood where a guy had a snake hanging from a hook. He slid it open. The blood dripped into a shot glass, and I drank it. I would love to do that with a vampire. What's so wrong about that? <laughs> Nothing. That exactly. Thank you, Ben. And that <clears throat> is the essence of the Cinemodities restaurant right there. <laughs> any other snacks or any other food items you thought of as we went off on that tangent of uh, daylight and nightlight and stuff like that? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I don't have any other thoughts about that. But it did just occur to me Uh-oh. to ask ChatGPT what Cinemodities is about. That sounds like a rabbit hole that we should not – well, we should go down but save it for Patreon. What do you think about that? Cine- oh, okay, that's fine. I think that's, a, I think that's a good thing. So, yes, uh, before you get into this – Cinemodities ben- okay. is a podcast that explores unusual and unconventional films. The hosts discuss movies that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or just plain bizarre. They delve into the peculiar aspects of these films, analyzing their unique qualities, themes, and artistic choices. The podcast aims to provide an entertaining and insightful exploration of cinema outside the mainstream. Is this is this taken directly from anything that you've written? This is this sounds like paraphrased promotional material that we've used nice. over the years. <laughs> nice. This is actually really cool. I'm, I might actually not. I might actually just put this all at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That's really cool. That's really cool. Okay. Well, I mean, speaking of that, um, I mentioned it once again. We should talk about our Patreon, Ben. Ben and I, over on the Patreon, do a lot of goofy shit. I think that's the best way to say it. We do tie-ins to the main feed for things that don't quite fit or we don't have room for that we want to talk about. We also do fan requests. Fan requests are kind of like our bread and butter over there because those are so much fun. We get to shoot the shit and argue about the merits or dismerits of these movies that our fans want us to talk about. We also do Adventure Time, the best animated show ever. Ben, I would like to say this to you. Before Reddit had their blackout a few days ago, which we don't have to talk about because I don't want to talk about... um, I saw a post on Ask Reddit, what's the best animated show of all time? When I clicked on this, looking for clearly Adventure Time, there was one post in terms of popularity that existed before Adventure Time. Could you guess what more Redditors upvoted than Adventure Time is the best animated show ever? If you can't guess, I'll give you a hint. No, no, not Rick and Morty. You said, you said before Adventure Time? So so basically, when, when I clicked <clears throat> on this on Reddit, it sorted it by popularity. So which had the most updutes or whatever the fuck it is on Reddit, you know? Um, okay, so. Thumbs and assholes. I don't know what Reddit does, you know? Okay. Uh, I think they're called uh, Cramma because it's how many thumbs can you cram up somebody's asshole? Cramma, you know? The, the, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Adventure so you're, you're asking me what, what Ad, did Reddit vote as Ad, the most? Yes, Adventure Time was the second most upduted and awarded animated series there was one before it and it's one we've seen i will give you it i'll give you another hint if you can't guess it um it's one well, i mean yeah, it's what's one you're bojack a, horseman no it's another one john dimaggio is in okay. futurama futurama 
the 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 highest rated animated show on Reddit is Futurama. Afterwards is Adventure Time. After that, uh, I didn't give man. a shit because I was looking for oh, Adventure man. Time. That's interesting. I Futurama I, is very good. I I have to say, while I disagree, while I think not only Adventure Time is the best animated show ever, I think it is the best show ever. I put it above Lost. For many people, know I love Lost. You know, which is a hot take for sure. Um, I have to agree with you. Futurama is a strong, strong contender. Absolutely. Yeah, that's um, that's it's surprising that that Reddit had such clarity. <laughs> Now, that should be, like, on the... Usually I say that should be the quote on the box for the DVD, but Reddit's not a movie or anything. But that should be, that should be the quote, pull quote for Reddit. I'm surprised they have that much clarity. <laughs> there you go. Um, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, check out our Patreon. We do all this stuff. We talk about Ben and I shooting the shit on stuff we want to discuss ties into the main feed. There's going to be one for this series uh, that I can't wait to get to. Um, we do fan requests, a lot of fan requests, great stuff that we never would have seen otherwise. I do want to highlight in this, because it is somewhat close to it, um, we did an episode on season three of I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. Uh, we have a lot of great thoughts on comedy on there. Um, we do Adventure Time every month, every episode, in order. You know, we're going through the entire series. If you like what you heard, head on over, patreon.com slash cinemodities, or check out the link in the show notes. Not only are you supporting the podcast to keep us going, but you are helping out and getting a lot more content. I think that's some great stuff, and I can't wait to keep going forward with it. And I'm really excited to keep going forward with it with the start of this series, Ben, the Danny Houston series, right? <laughs> I mean, Danny Houston yeah. plays a villain. Uh, so next time we'll be covering Wonder Woman, where he's the bad Nazi doctor. <laughs> uh, is that what it is? I thought it was sh uh, Sharpened Teeth. Oh, Sharpened Teeth, of course, of course. Yeah. Sharpened Teeth was the series. Yep, yep. We, we, uh, we cover Horse Girl, where... Um, uh, what's her name? Who's the... Allison Brie takes the nail file to her incisors to uh, sharpen them down. That We're going to cover that, of course. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that might not uh... be Horse Girl. I may be fucking up, but who cares? Because this is all a misdirect. It's a smokescreen, Ben. <laughs> there, there's a movie, I think it's called, yeah, Boarding School, about a young boy who becomes fascinated with his grandma uh, that he never knew after she dies. <clears throat> And there's a flashback scene in that where she sharpens her teeth with a file, and that's what we're doing next week. Ooh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Okay, okay. Body <laughs> horror, Danny Houston. We're going to keep you guessing. We're going to keep you guessing. Uh, the uh, the tie-in for this Patreon, our Patreon tie-in for this series will not come out till the end of the month, um, the end when we cover this stuff. So uh, we're going to keep you guessing. But, Ben, I think this is pretty cool. Anything else you want to say <clears throat> about the Patreon or Cinemodities in general? Uh, other than you should probably shift that whole spiel you did about the Patreon all the way up to the beginning of the episode that, so that somebody actually hears it. I usually do, and I'm actually glad we got a lot of Patreon references into this episode, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was great, and the content on the Patreon is great. We've done a lot of good, good things over there, good conversations over there, and I think that maybe some of our best conversations are actually over there. So go oh, check it out. Yeah, yeah. Ben, when Ben says best, he means uncensored. We can say, and I'm pausing there because I'm going to put like three bleeps in or something. You know? Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, we say a lot. 
Um, <laughs> if if you have any thoughts on Thirty Days of Night, any ideas or any maybe like feedback on our discussion or Dark Days, the one piece of material that neither Ben and I uh, watched in this uh, discuss for this discussion, please email us, harass us at cinemodities at gmail dot com. We would love to hear from you, and uh, we would love <clears throat> to um, just get your feedback because you know. That's something I think Ben and I have, have learned to love with our fan requests is that it's really cool when we get to uh, have another person to bounce off of and that type of thing. So definitely hit us up. We are so welcoming of that stuff. Ben, I think yeah. my last question is, this is actually a real question for you. How do we end this episode? <sighs> I thought this was going to be chock full of fake butt rock from Hinder and Creed and shit like that, so we'd be able to pick one of those. I even thought that was going to happen at the end credits, like I said. But we got nothing. I mean, we could do the usual, like, oh, end credits music in reverse, but, like, is or is there any, like, other sound that maybe you thought of we can play in reverse for the end of this episode? <laughs> do you just... Do you, do, <laughs> what? Since, since I didn't know what they're saying... What if we took Danny Houston's vampire speech and played it in reverse? <laughs> yeah, you just mix in some of ours. Okay, I like that. I, and I know there's a lot in, in here. And of course, I don't think you'll disagree with this, but if, if you would uh, be so kind, I would like to also include marsupial noises. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, um, marsupial noises and soup noises. And soup noises. I, yeah, soup like whenever you drop like, crackers cool, in a soup, like... I like that. I like that. You know, little like flat splashes and stuff. I'm yeah. also thinking of you ever buy like um like ocean spray or like, you know, maybe even off brand, like they have those like mixed juices like cran apple or cran raspberry or like, you know, apple coconut or whatever. And yeah, yeah. if you ever like look at the actual packaging of those, they'll say like, Oh, thirty percent juice with other flavors, you know? <laughs> I, I would like to see that our podcast is like, you know, 30% hosts, asterisk, other marsupials or something like that, you know, <laughs> with other marsupials. It, well, it just occurred to me that as part of the soup noises, you have to, you have, to have someone exclaiming uh, because their soup was too hot. I just, right? I just fucking got that you were talking about soup because of marsupials. <laughs> <laughs> I was slow on the uptake there, Ben. I was literally confused on why you were bringing soup into this. I just got it. That might be Love the it. best place to end the episode in in my pure puddle of shame right there. 